Hello, listeners. You are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans and is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you would call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we can share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride through the 2022 MLB offseason lockout. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. It is episode 38. Alex and I are coming to you live Monday, December 6th evening. It's about 5.45 p.m. to be exact. And Alex, we're still in lockout mode. We are still in lockout mode. Not heard about much progress so far, but uh, hoping they're making some behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. I know we uh, I know we mentioned probably the holidays might be a big, you know, uh, you know, halt, halter for the owners and the players union to really meet. I think a lot of them are really thinking, you know, after New Year, maybe they'll get together and they'll start getting business down to order. But I feel like for December, it's almost a definite that we won't see any news coming through. I think teams are kind of talking low-key under the radar for some guys. Maybe it's unofficial, but it's uh, at least, you know, something hopefully some some guys are doing some low-key business. I know some other teams have some, uh, you know, managerial and front office things to get done. So we'll see exactly what happens with all that stuff in the future, hopefully in the near future. But so far, uh, Alex and I, of course, have prepared you guys, prepared something for you guys really nice. So uh, we're going to talk, of course, about, you know, some upcoming news that has happened in the past couple of days. Um, some Hall of Fame news, actually. There was a Veterans Committee vote that uh, six lucky players got voted into the Hall of Fame. And uh, we'll kind of talk about that briefly. But Alex kind of give us what we got going for the next three weeks yeah so just to kind of give you guys the overall kind of view of what our game plan is for kind of leading into the holidays this probably will take about take us right up to about christmas time uh me and travis are going to kind of walk through i guess a bit of a historic view of the game uh and we're gonna kind of break down we're gonna go division by division so just a preview for today will be the al west we're gonna go division by division and go team by team and give us give you guys kind of our all-time team for these franchises. So we'll give you like a starting nine and then the pitchers as well for essentially telling you guys who we think the best guys for are at every position for these kind of teams. So um, it's just kind of a fun kind of change of pace, hopefully, for you guys. And it's also kind of a way to maybe if you're a fan of a team we don't get to talk about as much because they're not making headlines or they're smaller market. At some point in time, we're going to dedicate time to your franchise, which is also kind of a plus, I think, for all the listeners out there. So Definitely. whoever you like, we're going to talk about your team's history at least a little bit in the next uh, three weeks. So that's sort of the game plan. That's going to be like the meat of the episode. But um, every episode, we're still going to start off with any sort of news or updates about the lockout or, of course, like Hall of Fame stuff. I think a big chunk of Hall of Fame talk will come in January when we have the voting for the guys on the ballot. We'll give our thoughts on that as well as our thoughts on like current players, Hall of Fame, and just all, all, all kinds of stuff. But I think up until Christmas time, our big focus is going to be this little uh, few weeks of covering kind of the history of these kind of franchises and making a franchise team um, and work our way into eventually making, you know, like who we think are the best players um, for each division and, and, and each league and so on. So, yeah, and we really kind of wanted to give you guys, you know, I mean, Alex, we're thinking, you know, 
an all MLB team would be really fun, but let's kind of, you know, break it down into like maybe an all American league team and then an all national league team. And then of course, break that down into divisions and then even break down even more and go 30 for 30, all 30 teams. Um, you know, it's always fun to kind of make these lists because you can kind of be really creative and, you know, with us, you know, we're going to follow certain rules. I think Alex, me and you agreed on players have to have had five years with each franchise um so that's kind of the basics of the rules we don't want to talk about a guy that maybe spent one year or two year with the team had an incredible two years but we just want to make sure that that dur the durability is definitely important when we talk about these players and teams yeah uh for for who's on those teams but let's start off with just kind of some small news the uh hall of fame news there was six players that were announced yesterday i think it was either yesterday or it was sunday Yesterday was Sunday. So <laughs> I think it was actually yesterday, Sunday, but uh, six players announced on a veterans committee into the Hall of Fame. And these are players that I think are, you know, I think most of them are actually deceased. And have, a few of them are. A few yeah, of them are. Yeah. And some are still alive. But these are guys that actually have played, you know, back in the 70s, 60s, and 50s uh, and were, you know, on their time on the ballot, did not get in. And then, of course, now a veterans committee has a chance to get these guys in. And some of them, of course, are very, very deserving. I feel like it's just it's just amazing that some of these guys didn't even get in. And then there's always one guy we want to talk about that was not in. And he's kind of been one of the biggest snubs of uh, yeah. of, of probably of almost all time still right now that still is not in the Hall of Fame. But six guys got in. It is Buck O'Neill. It is Bud Fowler. It is Tony Oliva of the Twins, Minnie Minuso of the White Sox, Jim Cat of the Twins, and Gil Hodges of the Dodgers. Uh, Alex, some pretty iconic names. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of those guys, either fan favorites amongst their franchise, just guys who uh, are finally getting some credit that they probably deserved. Um, I know Buck O'Neill is someone who people have been clamoring for because he did a lot of work to establish like Negro League stuff and really popularize it. And uh, I've only heard, you know, Tons of stories uh, from, you know, people who are historians of the game talk positively about his contributions, even off the field, but even though he was a manager and, and uh, you know, a player as well. But tons of these guys, it goes beyond the numbers, uh, you know, because they may have came from the Negro Leagues and just had so much impact in that regard. And then uh, other players, you know, Gil Hodges is someone who was kind of a star in his time and just, for whatever reason, just did not get that... Uh, that voting threshold to get into the hall of fame on the ballot. And when he came off the ballot, um, eventually the veterans committee did put him in as well. Yep. Uh, Travis, the player we were alluding to that, uh, did not get voted in that we were hoping would get voted in is of course, um, Dick Allen. And so Dick Allen, Travis is a player who has, well, first of all, he was snubbed for not getting in on the, on the initial ballot he was on. He just on paper, looking at the numbers, there's just no way he shouldn't be a, a Hall of Famer in my book. Um, and then to not even get in on this, on this Veterans Committee vote, I think the idea is that everyone kind of knows eventually a Veterans Committee or some committee of some sort will have him in. But he unfortunately passed away earlier. I believe it was this year, if not last year. But just kind of that in mind that he didn't make it in you know, during his lifetime is definitely a, a tragic. He has a career... 58.7 baseball reference war and he has a 156 ops plus and if i'm not mistaken Travis, there's just a handful of right-handed hitters with a better ops plus that have the same or more seasons played and i think it's like mcguire it's trout it's hornsby and there's like one more okay and so to be like that, that high up on that kind of leaderboard it just kind of shows how underrated he was um led the league in ops led his league four times led mlb once um 
has a rookie of the year, has an MVP award. Uh, the accolades kind of speak for themselves. A seven-time All-Star. Overall, just kind of an underrated player. Played 15 seasons. Uh, a couple of those towards the end weren't complete seasons, so maybe maybe there were some concerns about the counting stats. You know, Travis, only 351 career homers. Uh, for career hits, it's 1848. So I think some of the voters back when you hit the ballot for the first time kind of saw those numbers and said, well, he's not 500 club, uh, you know, he has an MVP, but, you know, they didn't really care about that that much back then. Of course, Dale Murphy, another famous snub, uh, has an MVP award and did not get in. So they, you know, winning one MVP doesn't really do it for the voters. But just looking at how good of a hitter he was throughout his prime, for me, he's an easy pick to get in. He's over 150 OPS plus, like more than half his seasons, it looks like. So it's really impressive the numbers he was able to put up back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, Travis, any any thoughts on him? Yeah, and you know, I think one reason why uh, voters back then probably did not like him too much is you know playing a first and third base and also left field positions. Those, of course, are you know great hitting positions yeah i think a lot of voters were comparing him of course to guys like 500 uh, club guys yeah willie mccovey and you know hank aaron some of these guys that played those positions and not having the numbers even close to those guys was probably a way of saying we're not going to allow this guy to get in right now doesn't even have you know 2,000 hits doesn't have 500 home runs doesn't even have you know 500 doubles um but you know they, of course the percentage stats that's where you look that was actually really one that's really impressive part uh Anytime you have a guy with a 900 OPS or higher as a career hitter, it's it, it, it's a it, serious Hall of Fame consideration. It definitely is. It definitely is. And I, I mean, that, I look at that, and if I just saw 900 OPS, I would definitely think, okay, he probably has close to a 400 on base and a 500 slugging. Those are two numbers, in my opinion, that are very valid for a Hall of Famer. A 400 on base is definitely a historic mark to have yeah. as a career hitter. But uh, hopefully, a guy that can get in, you know. Next year, I, I'm I'm hoping that he, somehow people can definitely have the respect to put him in. It's really funny, Alex. We said, um, you know, we, we were thinking when he passed away. Tomorrow will actually be one year. December oh, 7th, wow. 2020, he passed away. So uh, kind of a crazy anniversary will be done next year. And hopefully, yeah, next year people will start really considering him as a serious uh, contender for that Hall of Fame. Because guys like him definitely need to get in. I think uh, when you look at the Hall of Fame overall in, in general, um, there's a lot of players from the 40s and the 50s that, you know, me and you will both look at and we're just kind of like, huh, you know, he got in. But how is that even kind of like, you know, 100 percent? Yeah. So looking at these numbers, there's there'll be guys with like 30 career war and just like exactly. below average hitters. They probably had a good glove for their time. But it just kind of like this guy, like, yeah. you know, no they, disrespect, but there's guys who are better that are not in. Exactly. Exactly. So. Hopefully, yeah, next year we can get kind of a better batch. Uh, not a better batch, but just, you know, of course, he's in the next batch of uh, yeah. the Veterans Committee for Hall of Famers. But Alex, uh, I want to start with the meat of the episode with the all franchise teams. Yeah, sounds good. So just a reminder, I said all or it'll be the AL West uh, today. So this episode, we're going to go over, of course, Rangers, Astros, Angels, Mariners and Athletics. Um even though, like Travis, of course, the Astros have like hopped around and different teams have hopped around between AL and NL, we're sticking with like the current breakdown of divisions and, and the AL versus NL. So those five teams will be today. We're going to go over who we see as like the best players of all time at each position for those teams. And if there's any disagreements that, you know, kind of come up, we can kind of discuss and see where that takes us. Definitely, definitely. So you want to start with the uh, Oakland A's? We can do that. Perfect, perfect. Okay. 
So again, running kind of do, down the list like we always do, um, starting at you know the catcher position, going all the way down to the DH, and then the five starting pitchers, and then the closing pitcher. Pretty much, our we had to make an all-time team with all those uh, spots to be filled. And then when we get to the all-time division team, me and Alex agreed. Of course, we'll do catcher through DH. We're also going to do three bench positions because we just feel in some divisions it's very powerful uh there are definitely some bench guys that need to be on that list just for consideration almost like an honorable mention list we'll, we'll make for that so three bench spots five starting pitchers of course and then we're going to have three relief pitchers so we kind of have uh two setup men and then one closer of our for our all-time division team uh just to kind of get the excitement rolling with that but alex uh all-time catcher or, i'm sorry all-time a's we'll start the catcher uh, I'll go first. I had, this is actually going all the way back. And actually, no, this is another reminder we need to tell everyone of the fans. Um, we're also talking about pretty much the franchise. So going back to the A's, the Oakland A's at one time were the Kansas City A's. And before that, they were the Philadelphia A's. Philadelphia A's is a very powerful franchise back in the early, you know, 19, pretty much 1901 to like 1930 or 40. They were the Philadelphia A's. So we're actually going to go back to all the way back then. We're using all almost the past 100 years 120 years of our knowledge to give you kind of the best all A's squad and going all the way back to 1901. And also important to note, like the, uh, the, sorry, the Rangers, Travis, they were a team. So just, just for clarification, there was a, a Washington senators team that ended up becoming the Minnesota twins. And so when we get to the AL central, the players that were on that early Washington Senators, Senators teams are going to be that Twins. But then when the Twins were already established, they made another Washington Senators team. And then that ended up be- transferring to becoming the Rangers. So just for clarification, in the 50s and like, I think it was, I think it was like 60s, I think it was like 60s uh, Senators, those will be kind of for the Rangers. So just for clarification, any names that you are, you're kind of like, oh, I didn't know he played for them. <laughs> yeah. It probably came from a historic version of the same franchise. Just, just for clarification and uh, just so any disputes going forward, we can uh, clear that up. Definitely, because I know that's going to be one thing we're talking about is, you know, was that really, you know, a true AL West or, you know, the AL West, of course, wasn't a division for, a ver- you know, forever. And so uh, not kind of like the Eastern teams where a lot of the teams, of course, started out on the East Coast. But Uh, We'll start with the all-time A's, of course, and Alex, I will start off with uh, the catching position. I went with Philadelphia A legend Mickey Cotrain. Yeah, I I picked the same guy as well. I'll just just start off there. So, yeah, Mickey Cotrain, he was on the early Philadelphia A's, for those that don't know, and he has just some of the best, like, OPS plus numbers for, like, catchers that you really see, especially from back then. Um, First of all, he was on some championship teams, and then besides that, he uh, was just a great on-base guy. Uh, it's hard to kind of evaluate the defense of a catcher from so long ago. I don't, you know, we don't have those numbers really, but his batting numbers were quite impressive for a catcher, and he was on uh, a legendary run of, you know, Oakland or, or sorry, Philadelphia A's that kind of featured uh, other popular names like Jimmy Fox and uh, Al Simmons, like Cotrin was part of that kind of elite group on that team that went to the World Series multiple times. Yep, yep. And so you have the same guy for catcher. Let's go to the right side of the infield. Uh, and these, are, of course, are two teammates as well with Cotrin. Jimmy Fox, double X, the legend at first base, and then Eddie Collins at second base. Two guys, actually all three guys playing on the Philadelphia A's back in the day. This was kind of the biggest rival for the New York Yankees in the 20s and the 30s with Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth. These are the guys that I think really challenged them in the East and for uh, a World Series title. So right side for you, 
maybe you got the similar guys. It is Fox and Collins for me <laughs> as well. Yeah, both Hall of Famers. Both have reached tons of career marks. Collins is a 3,000 hit guy. Fox is a 500 home run guy. Both are legends. Uh, there's not much competition for those positions for me. Yeah, and I know Double X, Jimmy Fox, he, of course, will would you know definitely be on our, you know, if we had to make probably an all-time top five, top three first baseman list, Jimmy Fox, his numbers are pretty insane i think he had a season where he had 58 home runs and it was really challenging babe ruth's uh all-time single season home run mark i feel like you know you had ruth and some of these other guys and then jimmy fox came onto the scene and was an absolute you know beast when it came with the bat and so he of course is one of the greatest offensive hitters of all time uh some of those seasons are just insane and then eddie collins too you know straight average guy uh, and on base guy you know just kind of insane numbers at second base he of course is an all-timer at second base uh, probably again also a top five second baseman of all time and so uh, really nice to at least get, dig back into the early A's teams uh, anything else you want to yeah. add on, on both those guys no I mean yeah like I said they're both hall of famers they're both like probably honestly inner circle hall of famers both like like top five war for their positions all time I think they're both like top three war all time for their positions mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they are in the conversation for like best first baseman, best second baseman. They they wouldn't be my pick for either one, but they're like they have to be in that inner circle bubble for those positions for, for all of baseball. So for the A's, they're easy picks. Perfect. Perfect. OK, and uh, let's move now to the left side of the infield. And Alex, I had some two guys that were teammates um, on those 70s Oakland A's run teams uh, that, you know, winning three championships in the early 70s. Uh, kind of the mark of the early 70s. And then, of course, the Cincinnati Reds became the team of the later half of the 70s. Uh, and that is Burt Campaneris at short and Sal Bando at third base. Two guys who are pretty much in the all-time top 10 for war for Oakland A's or for A's athletics baseball of all time. Uh, eager to hear what you have for that left side. Yeah, it's the same. Okay. It's the same, okay. yeah. Uh, oh, just, just, for, just for clarity, Travis, like, Miguel Tejada was a name I had down for shortstop. Me too, and, yep, yep. And he has an MVP award, of course, and was on the 2002 team that was the Moneyball team that, of course, uh, set a record for American League win streak and, you know, made a movie about him and all, <laughs> yeah. all this kind of stuff. So he was on that team and, uh, you know, was an MVP. And some of his numbers are very impressive for offense for a shortstop. But uh, I, you know, I'm going to say one thing. Go ahead. It's crazy that you look – I looked at that 2002 MVP season for Tejada and – it's just crazy when you look at a guy like Tatis and how it just blows it away. Oh, right. It, it, it's it's kind of just right. insane to see where we're at and the way that the, the, the amount of talent we have in the game right now. And it's just like that's a great point. Insane. I, I, I wanted to see that. I wanted to say that because I looked over his stats and they're good. But it's just it's crazy how much talent we have at the shortstop position in today's game. And it really and like if you look at the 2002 uh, MVP we're talking about it's a 128 OPS plus there are players in the American League with much better offensive stats definitely that we just gave it you know Tejada played 162 games that year and his team was on a crazy win streak um and he was a uh, shortstop hitting 30 home runs right and so I think all those things combined sort of made him into an MVP candidate but um looking at his numbers he was kind of like a free swinger didn't have a crazy like walk percentage the slugging was very good um and he was obviously a very good player but, um, yeah, I think Campaneris is a more of a franchise guy, I guess. Definitely, definitely. And then Bondo, Travis, uh, the third baseman, someone who uh, I was looking at some other names as well. But I think if you just look at his overall batting numbers as an A, it's just kind of like a, 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 just a tier above the other options, I would say. Um, looking at just his A's numbers alone, Travis, uh, 127 
OPS plus in 11 years as an, as an Oakland Athletic. So, wow. or Kansas City Athletic and Oakland Athletic. So, that's very good. He actually got second in MVP voting once and third and fourth a couple other times. So, uh, you know, definitely a great player, kind of hidden in the 70s that people might not know about. But yeah, definitely uh, deserves the recognition. Yeah. And Burt Campanaris going back to 13 years with the A's. So, really kind of an, uh, a, a, franchisee kind of person who only played majority of all of his uh, career with one team uh two definite definite you know great players on those teams but let's now move to the outfield position and now you know I, I think the ace have some pretty star powered outfielders there's good options here they're really good options but uh for me alex i went with al simmons of the philadelphia a's ricky henderson and reggie jackson of course those three guys all hall of famers all insane careers all have records in different areas but i'll go back to you you're gonna hear what your three are henderson reggie and al simmons yeah same <laughs> same three yeah so it looks like so far we're through eight positions we're exactly the same that's probably the first time that's ever happened yeah but. i know it's pretty it's a pretty star power team where i think it's pretty you know it should some things are pretty obvious and they should be so uh i'm glad that we know really no disputes yet uh all three guys alex i mean ricky henderson i mean stolen base ricky henderson is an inner yeah. circle hall of famer for sure the, the stat i always jumps out at me when i look at his page obviously he is all-time leader in runs scored all-time leader in stolen bases but i always see that 400 on base percentage and it just is crazy that you get on base two-thirds of the time and you're the best stealer in baseball history so yeah. you're gonna get to second a lot of the time for just getting that walk and it just and oftentimes you get the third from that walk so he's probably one of the best leadoff hitter candidates of all time if you're making an all-time you know team and you need a leadoff hitter he's one of the best options for that reason i'd say of course reggie jackson probably his best most iconic team might have been the a's um and then he's a 500 hormone hitter al simmons is someone who i think gets kind of slept on travis uh I'll say that I had to kind of compare him to some other guys. I think mm -hmm. Jose Canseco was someone who yep. you have to take a look at. Yep, definitely. And I think Al Simmons just had a couple of really good peak years. He was part of some really good A's teams. Uh, he was like one of the best players besides probably Jimmy Fox on a couple of those really good A's teams back in the uh, like 20s, 30s era. Yep. But Travis, what I will say is there has to be a bit of a ding on Canseco for the steroids. Obviously mm -hmm. had some very good years and MVP for himself, but um the steroid aspect a bit of a tarnish on his name it does affect my decision making a bit here definitely definitely and looking even at simmons a 350 or higher batting average with the philadelphia a's almost a 1000 ops in those 12 years with the A's. so just kind of a a sneaky legend of an A's Total franchise legend. guy uh definitely someone that did not i feel like his name probably wasn't really brought up a lot in the in the 20s and the 30s because you have the names of gehrig fox ruth right. but he was kind of that underrated guy every single year ops above a thousand uh i mean the years even batting 390 in 1931 just having some crazy years almost a 400 hitter uh in a single season but that's al simmons that is the outfield let's now move to the designated hitter alex interested to see who you got i'll let you go first on this one yeah travis this is someone who you know we've had this kind of discussion before and we've compared this kind of two guys in my mind for the spot definitely and both guys have had the tarnish I mentioned earlier about uh -huh. the steroid allegations. Yep. Um, so for this list, Travis, for this sake, I went down and I put Mark McGuire. Okay. So I'm. Let's hear who you got, and then we'll talk. Yeah, Mark McGuire. Uh, for me, for for me, Alex, it was all about the durability. Twelve years with Oakland. Uh, I think if he was a Hall of Famer, he of course would be an Oakland A because he had uh more than double the years than he did in St. Louis. Mm. I think we all remember him from St. Louis. 
uh, more than Oakland because of 98, of, yeah. because of 98 and just the way he, he went about some of those seasons with, you know, 70 home runs and then the next season, 65, uh, I mean, you look down the line with, with these years with St. Louis, they were pretty incredible in the late 90s. But uh, I know we want to talk about one guy that we thought, of course, uh, could have had the DH spot. And that, of course, is Jason Giambi. Right. Uh, first baseman, of course, for the A's. But we want to, of course, add him onto the DH list. He was a DH for the Yankees, DH for mo- majority of his career. But uh, definitely a guy with a small sample size. He put together a prime like no other yeah i mean obviously like we said earlier steroid powered but the offense he was able to put up in a back-to-back stint where he got an mvp award it was honestly just kind of a crazy stretch of baseball um travis looking at kind of comparing mcguire to giambi the reason why i used to kind of favor giambi is because there's so many years here late 80s early 90s probably pre-steroid mcguire where the OPS is just like 830, then next year 806, 859, 714. It's like four straight years where it's like, <laughs> you know, it's above league average. It's yeah, good. Yeah. It's just not like uh, MVP caliber, even yeah. though he was getting MVP votes. I think part of that bias I might have had, I think it was not a very offensively powered era mm-hmm. because OPS plus numbers are still pretty solid for that time. But Travis, eventually when he kicks into gear in the mid-90s, all of a sudden you see a... Or sorry, yeah, like in 95, we see a 200 OPS plus. In 96, we see a 196 OPS plus. So he kind of becomes like peak Giambi in these like short stints, even though he did not get an MVP award for it. Um, Travis, one number that's jumping out to me right now is a 730 slugging percentage in 96 as an Oakland A for Mark McGuire. Wow. 730 slugging is something else. 52 homers that season. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, McGuire... Giambi, both guys have the steroid tarnish, but for longevity purposes, I went with um, I went with McGuire and also Travis a better OPS plus as an A yep. than Giambi had as an A, yep. and McGuire had the more years, so yeah, yeah, it makes I, it kind of obvious for me, of course, and for you definitely. I think the year two thousand and two thousand one Giambi are the two years where you look and say man like that might have been the best hitter like i've seen exactly exactly Uh, won the mvp in 2000 did not win in 2001 got second place to ichiro winning it in 2001 but yeah i mean the two-year kind of just stint with giambi probably is better when you look at if you had to pick two years of 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 mcguire it is pretty elite when you look at that but that kind of sums up all the hitting for us i'm kind of glad we're going through this in a good pace uh alex let's move to the starting five i will give you mine and then of course you give me yours this is a no specific order alex i know that right. we could definitely rank these in order but i just gave you my five uh catfish hunter starting off at number one vita blue at two eddie rommel at three eddie plank at four and then the great lefty grove at five uh alex interested to see who you got so i have all the same except for one so i have uh, Blue, uh, Lefty Grove, Catfish Hunter. I actually have Tim Hudson in there. Okay. And then I have uh, Plank as well. Very so, good. Uh, very similar uh, idea. Tell me about Rommel, I guess, since you know you mentioned him and I didn't have him down. Yeah, you know, he was a guy that almost had a 50 war with the uh, Philadelphia A's. And just kind of a you know, and, and I, I mean, in my list, originally, I had Barry Zito. I had a guy yeah. like that. But, you know, I kind of wanted to take more of an in-depth look. And this guy spent 13 years in the MLB and all 13 years were with the A's. So quite a quite a really good a number of wins, 171 wins in his career with a 3.54 ERA, 
you know, I think just playing with those uh, great teams in in uh, in Philadelphia earned my spot. Also with the WAR, I really like the fifty WAR. I think he's honestly one of the top three highest WAR for pitchers in A's history, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah third in war for ace pitchers but yeah i mean I, I love thinking about those early 2002 teams though with Mulder, tim hudson and barry zito give me kind of your take on hudson yeah i mean i'm just looking at both their numbers right now between rommel and hudson and both obviously great pitchers uh one thing that might get rommel kind of people probably give him less credit than he deserves is because his era travis 354 but we're talking about an era where he's going up against guys like Ruth and Garrigan on a regular basis. Yep. One of the most offensively powered eras in baseball history is the 20s, the roaring 20s, you know. Yep. The yep. baseball was roaring too. Um, so his ERA plus numbers are very solid throughout his prime uh, and played 13 seasons. So for me, Travis Hudson had less seasons as an A. He only had six seasons, but a 136 ERA plus. Hudson is a guy who I think gets slept on a bit in terms of how good his career was. And his best ERA plus of any team is by far with the ace in that six-year stretch to start his career. Had a Cy Young second-place finish, a Cy Young sixth-place finish, a Cy Young fourth-place finish all in that six-year stretch. Um, really, I think some underrated numbers. We're talking about a, a 298 ERA and that 270 ERA in back-to-back -back years in the middle of the steroid era in 0203. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I think he was a super slept on. I'm talking about a, a workload too, over 200 innings pitched in four straight years as an A. So a lot to like about Hudson, I think, but I like your pick as well. Completely different eras, but uh, surprisingly, you know, I think both a team with as much history as the A's, there's so many good options, I'd no, say. No, there are. There are. I don't know. You you definitely think of Tim Hudson, you know, uh, if, you, if you brought up an A's list, you I could probably name Tim Hudson before I named Rommel, you know, you, you really wouldn't, he's kind of just a low key guy, probably, but there are numbers that support both guys, definitely, definitely, uh, but I think one guy, of course, we, we definitely will say is on the list is Lefty Grove, uh, for you and me, we definitely agree, greatest left-handed pitcher of all time, without a doubt, some of those years back in the 30s were just kind of insane, actually won the MVP one year as a pitcher, so yeah. a really historic year, and then you, of course, Catfish Hunter, his numbers were probably not as good as a lot of these guys. He could have been left off the list when you look at the numbers, but I think when you look at Catfish Hunter as a whole, he played so many years with the A's, and he was so excellent during those World Series runs that he's kind of like Mr. Oakland A. As I a pitcher. Like, as a pitcher. Yeah. Catfish Hunter's definitely, his numbers retired uh, in the stadium. And then, of course, also Vita Blue. Vita Blue had, honestly, some of the, some of the craziest seasons. He had... Uh, his fastball, I think, was right in near 102. I think he had an MVP award, too, if he I'm did. not mistaken. He did, yep. And so Vita Blue, again, another great guy that pop maybe could have been left off the list if you want to get more in-depth about some of these guys. But both those guys, I think, were just all-timers for the A's franchise. And then, of course, like you said, Lefty Grove. Eddie Plank is a guy, Alex, of course, I just put on because he has the all-time overall war for the entire A's franchise of all time. Uh, it's about a 70... Let's see. It's a 77.2 war wow. um, in his entire career. And he played 14 years with the Philadelphia A's going all the way back to the 1901 season. So he was kind of getting pitching during that whole dead ball era. That's why, of course, his war and probably his ERA are so good throughout all those years. And with the Philadelphia A's, he had a 2.39 ERA, almost 300 wins with the A's. So uh, just kind of an all timer as well with him. Uh, anything you want to add on, I guess, your five? Yeah, I'll just add a little more uh, bit on Lefty. Lefty Grove, uh, I think, should be up there considered with the top tiers of pitchers of all time. Probably an argument to say he's 
a top two, top three pitcher of all time since like the live ball era began. He's pitching Travis in the 20s and 30s, like we said, a really offensive era. Had an ERA title uh, many years, but five years as an athletic. Um, led the league in strikeouts in his first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven straight seasons. He led the league in strikeouts. MVP as an Oakland, or sorry, as a Philadelphia athletic. Um, it's just so much to like. And he, was, of course, was a part of those championship teams we mentioned. Yep. The late 20s, or made the World Series, I think, like three straight years, something like that. Uh, teammate of Jimmy Fox. An iconic era for the franchise of the athletics. So he is an obvious no-brainer and one of the best pitchers ever. So he has to be on the list. Definitely, definitely. Uh, now we'll move to the ninth inning guy, the closer. If you had to make uh, this team and put it... Put the real roster on the field. Who would you want coming out to close that game in the ninth? Uh, Alex, I think it was pretty easy for me. Uh, it's our guy we always talk about. It's Dennis Eckersley for the A's franchise. I really will say, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer without those, of course, those nine years in Oakland. He changed his position, went from a starting pitcher to a relief pitcher and then a closer. And I mean, oh my God, just, just the seasons he had in those early 90s. I know we all remember him for one moment, and that is the Kurt Gibson home run in 1988. Right. And it, it's it's kind of sad because that's the early part of his Oakland A's career. You look at him in the 90s, he won a Cy Young and an MVP as a closing pitcher, which I still today can't really understand. That is just kind of insanity because, you know, most relief pitchers will get top five in Cy Young. You know, they'll get votes for Cy Young. And sometimes they really should win if the starting pitching is not very good that season and a, and a relief pitcher is dominant. Definitely go ahead and give it to him. But then he wins the MVP in 1992 as well at the age of 37. I mean, he's getting up there in age and he wins an MVP for the 92 uh, Oakland A's. Alex, interested to see where you got. I also have Eckersley Travis. I think you know well that he's like one of my favorite like yep. guys ever. Uh, he's <laughs> the stash, just, the hair, you it, know, the it, look. Yeah. It's a whole vibe, yeah. and he's awesome. But, yeah, like you said, you put it well. Dennis Eckersley Travis, of course, was also a part of the iconic 89 World Series team. He also has an ALCS MVP award to his name, an MVP to his name, like you said. Um, being a part of the iconic A's teams uh, in the you know late 80s, early 90s uh, was just you know, the real cherry on top for his uh, Hall of Fame case. That's really, like, I think what we all remember him for, for how great he was in that stretch of time. For Oakland, Travis, I think there's only one other candidate in my mind for the closer role, and that would be Raleigh Fingers, of course, who definitely, is a definitely. legend in his own right. But they both actually were nine years as an A, and Eckersley has a 145 ERA plus as an A, and that's all, and he... he was a majority by far uh, reliever over starter there. And then in nine years for fingers, it's a 117 ERA plus. So a lot, lot less, even though the ERA is lower, the ERA plus kind of tells you about the era and uh, the war, the war is better for uh, Eckersley as well. So overall, Travis, I think Eckersley is the clear pick, at least in my book. And I'm, so I'm got to be agree there. Um, a lot to like about him, the saves and, Overall, the playoff performance, I think, is a big deal, too. So, uh, yeah, it was an easy pick on my mind. Yep, yep. And so that kind of sums up everything with the A's franchise. Uh, Alex, that's a very 
it's a very good roster. I think it's honestly, we will we'll compare this later on. I think when we start making up all of our teams, but it's definitely up there with one of the best teams, franchise teams of all time, the Oakland A's and the Philadelphia A's. Uh, the franchise has just been a complete powerhouse. If you look at the overall total, probably about, I think it's about 120 years old practically. So uh, a lot of good stuff from that team and that franchise. Alex, let's move on to the next ALS franchise. And this is the team that actually made the biggest noise in the offseason. This is going to be the all-time Rangers team. So again, the Rangers were the Washington Senators. I believe it was in the uh, late 50s and 60s, and then, of course, went on to become the Texas Rangers. So some guys you'll hear about possibly maybe in the uh, Senators uh, uniform and also in the Rangers uniform. But Alex, let's start off with the catcher. I think this one's a pretty slam dunk easy one uh for me i chose ivan rodriguez pudge rodriguez uh just a complete defensive goat <laughs> i'll put it that but leads the texas rangers franchise in war as well so catcher for you interested yeah. here you got yeah it has to be ivan rodriguez like you said I and mean, when you're the franchise leader in war you're probably not getting left off their team and in terms of catcher there's no one that's really that close um Obviously, an above-average hitter has an MVP to his name. And, of course, the defense, you know, people have been raving about it uh, ever since he has been playing the game. So, uh, yeah, Travis, I think overall it's a slam-dunk pick for catcher. I think it's fair to move on to first base now, Travis. That was a pretty easy spot in my mind. Yeah, first base and second base, right side of the infield, Alex. I had Rafael Palmero and, surprisingly, Ian Kinsler. Uh, Ian Kinsler, fifth all-time in Texas Rangers uh, franchise war. And then Rafael Palmero, second all-time in war. Those, of course, are good stats to look at when you first start uh, you know, deciding who you're going to have. And then, of course, Palmero, over 500 home runs. Kinsler just kind of being an all-around great player uh, when it comes to the defense, when it comes to even some of the power. He had a 32 home run season and a 31 home run season for the Rangers and was very instrumental, of course, in their you know back-to-back -back AL pennants. Uh, interested to see who you got. Yeah, first base, Rafael Palmero, 100%. Uh, the, uh, the numbers speak for themselves, honestly. Obviously, paid on, on the Orioles as well, but I think his time in Texas, you know, the numbers are incredible. Second base, I also have Ian Kinsler, Travis. Um, there is another player that I want to shout out here, and it actually really made me almost take Kinsler off. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the season differential is what made the difference. But I'll explain right now. So Kinsler had eight seasons, 30 war with the team. That's 4.07 war per 65 plate appearances. So that's like a good way I was trying to break down like how good were these guys for their whole career like on a rate basis. So it's about about four war for a season worth of plate appearances and a 111 OPS plus. Julio Franco, Travis five seasons played second base for the rangers interesting tw only 20.2 war but a 4.9 war per 650 pa so had almost a whole war higher per you know season's worth of pas a 129 ops plus so i think in my mind the better hitter was franco and probably if i had to take a, a peak guy yep. i probably might take franco but i think the reason that kinsler plays eight seasons and is a part of the like you mentioned two pennant winning teams mm -hmm. in my mind gives him the slight not uh not over him of course the total war also is a factor i just wanted to shout out franco a bit here because he's just the kind of guy that i would never would have thought he'd be remotely near this list but 
if you look at his five seasons as a Texas Ranger, they were very good years. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I'm glad you actually pointed him out because I know I saw him on the list as well for like all-time war. And some of these guys you want to give shout-outs to because you're like, man, it's just a tough decision to make when you look at these middle infielders. Uh, Alex, let's go to the left side, shortstop and third base. Who do you got for the Rangers? So uh, third base, shortstop. I'll start with shortstop. Uh, I have Michael Young. He is someone who you can kind of slot in at second base, third base, or shortstop. I think based on uh, Kinsler and based on who I'm about to say is my third baseman, it makes sense to have uh, Michael Young at short. Uh, so I'll go ahead and say Adrian Beltre is my third baseman. He is too good uh, to be left off, so that sh- uh, shoves Michael Young over to shortstop. Travis, tell me who you got on the left side. Yeah, so surprisingly for shortstop, Alex, uh, Elvis Andrews. Okay. I went that route. I think he's got 12 or 13 years as a Ranger. So kind of a guy that was been uh, kind of like an all, you know, an all program guy, a guy that really has played his whole career with one team did of course play last year at the Oakland A's, but I had Elvis Andrews. Michael Young, of course, was definitely a pick I was looking at because I was thinking second base, third base, shortstop. He played all over the place and was just great at all of them. A great kind of power bat, a really good extra base machine, I think, in that middle half of the of the 2000s. But uh, it makes me think, too, you know, this all would have been easier if maybe A-Rod would have played, you know, two more seasons with the Rangers. It would be a slam dunk. He would be 100% the slam dunk. It's kind of crazy if he played shortstop his whole career. Um, just comparing him to other shortstops, how far ahead of the pack he would be but a-rod of course i think only played three seasons with the rangers so we of course had to leave him off this list but for me i had andrews at short third base easy enough adrian beltre it's just crazy that he played eight seasons with the rangers and Ari is third on their all-time you know war 41.1 war just an insane guy with the glove and then also with the bat he's a guy of course that will be probably in cooperstown uh, hopefully on his you know first or second ballot because he is very deserving an all-time just great all-around player for the Rangers and of course was very instrumental in the 2011 World Series run um, but of course falling just short I know he had a couple big home runs in the um, game six and seven of that World Series but uh, that's my left side uh, Andrews barely a little bit higher war than Michael Young but of course sometimes I look at the other things as well uh, but I'm sure maybe I might I might squeeze Michael Young somewhere else on my list later in, uh, oh, as we go over this. But Interesting. <laughs> Alex, let's go over the outfielders for the Rangers. Uh, I'll start. So for the three outfielders, I had Juan Gonzalez of the Rangers who played in the you know later, later half of the 90s and also 2000s. But Juan Gonzalez, Josh Hamilton, and Frank Howard, who was a Washington senator and did not ever wear, I don't believe he ever wore the Texas Ranger uniform, but he was a stud on the Washington Senators back in the, you know, I think it was the 60s when they were there at the time. But give me who you have for your three outfielders. Yeah, so we are in, I think, complete agreement. Yeah, so I have Juan Gonzalez, Josh Hamilton, Frank Howard. Yeah, same three. So, yeah, Juan Gonzalez. I, I definitely like Frank Howard's look on baseball reference because he just looks he's, like he's swagging. He he's, looks like he has some style. He looks like someone just told him like a dirty joke and he doesn't even like understand it really. But uh <laughs> go ahead and explain I, kind of through, I, through I, yours. I, I love his look. Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. But yeah, so Travis, uh three outfielders all deserving of the spot. Um, you know, Josh Hamilton has his fair share of issues, you know, on and off the field. But if you're looking at his stats, he But on the field it, he was Especially in Texas, if you're looking at his numbers, uh, there's no argument someone produced better. Uh, There's at least no one that we left off this team that produced better than he did. Uh, He's an easy pick for, like, a center fielder. 
because uh, he can play there. Juan Gonzalez, Travis, two MVP awards, which is probably yeah. something that most fans. There's probably tons of fans who, if you don't watch the Rangers uh, historically, you don't know who Juan Gonzalez is. But he has two MVPs. Were there some better players in those seasons? Probably, but I think you look at his overall numbers. He's an underrated power hitter that might have, you know, gotten hit, hidden away in Texas for a bit there. And then Frank Howard, Travis, as a senator, his slugging numbers are very, very good. Uh, he could not be left, left off this list. Um, he was kind of a sneaky addition because he, he was, was uh, of course, like we keep saying, a senator, not a Texas Ranger. But when the team switched over, uh, he's a, he has to be an easy lock. Um, he just has too much production, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. And looking even at Juan, Juan Gonzalez, too, I remember looking back at uh, Griffey's numbers in the 90s. And it's I remember he had a couple of years where it was really good numbers and he did not win the MVP. And you look back and you, and you see who really won, and it's two years of Juan Gonzalez. Right. You know, 96 and 98, 50 home runs in 98, 157 RBIs. Both of those were leading in the AL. So almost had, uh, had two of the three triple crown numbers. And then, of course, 13 years with Texas. I mean, probably might have the you know overall home run record for texas 372 career ranger home runs so uh definitely a great power bat in that later uh 90s team which i feel like i don't know i feel like teams people kind of forget about i mean they they had some al division titles but we i think we just don't really remember it too much i mean they had pudge palmero juan gonzalez they had a lot of sluggers on that team uh but at least we got the same three frank howard josh hamilton juan gonzalez me and you alex Josh Hamilton was kind of just a a stud, but we had to always kind of root against and kind of hate because he just punished the Angels oh, yeah. when the Angels' uh, playoff run was over in 2010. I feel like he just was always uh, hurting us in different ways. And then, of course, we got him, and he was hurting us and that way, too. he was, uh, yeah, not a good hitter. And then I think, yeah, the, of course, like I mentioned earlier, off-the-field issues continued to kind of derail his career. But uh, his production in the prime was unquestionable. Uh, Travis, looking at quickly before we move on, uh, Frank Howard's like best, uh, really his best years of his whole career. There's a three-year stretch where he had a 171 OPS plus, 178 OPS plus, and then a 170 OPS plus. Three years in a row as a Washington Senator, MVP eighth place, MVP fourth place, MVP fifth place. So a really great three-year stretch. Probably one of the best three-year stretches of you know any outfielder that we're gonna come across on this list because definitely um yeah the on base is there and the slugging is completely there 44 home runs 48 home runs 44 home runs this dude is legit like I think he just kind of suffered from <laughs> not playing long enough yeah early in his career he missed some time in the late 50s and then uh, he retired at 36 even though he's still putting up above average numbers so. Yeah, overall, I think if he played a bit longer, he could probably get close to like making a Cooperstown case, but really did not play long enough, I'd say. But yeah, yeah. O- overall, I think we're good enough to go on to DH. Definitely, definitely. So the DH, Alex, uh, you go first. Give me who you got for the all-time DH list. So or- I went ahead and got. I put Nelson Cruz. Cruz, of course, a part of those uh, pennant-winning teams, Travis. And it looks like, honestly, he really kind of got more recognition as he moved on in his career didn't really get any mvp votes until he left texas actually and that's when he really kind of started excelling in baltimore seattle minnesota but um i still think that his numbers are good enough as a texas ranger he had a 146 ops plus in 2010 
And then, uh, of course, he had a uh, he had a 124 OPS plus as well in 2013. But of course, his postseason slugging, how good he was oh in, goodness, in some of those yeah. uh, NLDS, NLCS series, even the World Series, he really deserves tons of credit for that as well. I think um, played a lot of outfield in those series, but in my team, he's going to be a DH. I don't want him in right field making errors that will cost us any big games, Travis. If you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that part because I was going to say that. I think there's a good outfield uh, play that he made uh, in 2011, but. Uh, no, yeah, great, great analysis on that. Honestly, he was great for that team because I think they had Hamilton batting third, Beltre fourth, and then he was batting fifth. So he was offering like some of the greatest protection for those guys uh-huh. where it's like you can walk those guys, but then you have two guys on for Nelson Cruz, probably one of the best sluggers in the game, and he'll just punish you. And he did the, he did the same thing to the Detroit Tigers in 2011. Uh, I think he had maybe, uh, I think he had a, a seven home runs or something like that in that postseason. Right. He, he had a lot in one of those postseasons. But for me, Alex, for DH, um, I kind of went for, if, I guess for my time of watching baseball, if I had to look at someone who's like Mr. Texas Ranger, it's probably Michael Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, 13 seasons with the Texas Rangers out of 14 in his career. Um, you, I, you know, he played so many different spots with second, third and short. He also played a lot of DH starting in 2010 for the Rangers because they had some of those spots already covered and he was of course getting older. I kept him at just at the DH role because I love just the consistency that he brought every year. Alex, it seemed like he was getting almost 200 hits or more. He literally was just a hit machine. Um, almost, almost finished with 2,400 hits in his career through 14 years. Could have possibly been a 3,000 hits guy if he went 18 years or so in the MLB. But uh, Michael Young, for me, is my DH. Um, just kind of an all-around sneaky power for the shortstop position, I feel like, in those 2000s, uh, early 2000s. And then, of course, RBI is always getting up into the 80s, 90s every single season. So definitely a model of consistency and batting average as well. So I had him for my uh, DH spot for the Rangers. Right, and um, I had him at shortstop. So it's, it's, not, it's not like we disagree there. Yeah. Some of his prime numbers, Travis, like— I, I guess we just go— Andrews over Andrews or Cruz. Yeah, it's like definitely, <laughs> definitely apples and oranges to compare. No, there. definitely a, a bat versus a shortstop, good glove. But yeah, I think Young's numbers speak for themselves. Uh, in his prime, like over 200 hits multiple times, a 52 double season mm-hmm. in 06, which yeah. is 52 doubles is a lot, a lot. Uh, you don't really see that much these days. Um, and yeah, over 300 batting average. Uh, many years, his career batting average is actually right at 300. So uh, yeah, definitely a great hitter, singles, doubles guy. Um, he's your DH, he's my shortstop, and that pretty much wraps up the batters for this team. Yeah, so let's uh, we'll move to the starting five. Uh, Rangers, have, you know, I feel like they kind of had a really interesting starting five. Some guys you don't really have heard of uh, at all, and some guys you've heard of, but they maybe they're they're best known for maybe other teams or other organizations. I'll go through my five, and then you, of course, give me your five. So in no particular order, uh, I had Kenny Rogers, I had Kevin Brown, Fergie Jenkins, Charlie. I think it's Huff. Huff. Okay, I was going to ask for that name, but Charlie Huff. And then last but not least, Nolan Ryan for my five for the Texas Rangers. Give me your five, and then we'll discuss. I think you said the same five. I have Nolan Ryan, Fergie Jenkins, Charlie Huff, uh, Kenny Rogers, and Kevin Brown. Okay, okay. So yeah. I think it's the same, right? Same list. So pretty yeah. much almost just, again, accuracy is pretty on point with, again, the, the, the old organization teams yeah, yeah the, the, there's there's a couple guys who you probably know better for being on different teams that's nolan ryan and fergie jenkins i think huff is has the most war of any uh rangers pitcher he i think was a knuckleballer he just had a great longevity you're able to pitch a lot of innings when you're a knuckleballer um and then rogers and brown just had their own kind of respective 
good seasons uh overall travis not a lot of options to be honest yeah no, when you're, you're right. picking like I, I really wanted to include a guy like cj wilson but he just only like, like we've talked about earlier he only started for like two seasons two good seasons but most of his rangers time was actually in the bullpen before he became a starter so um trying to find the the aces was definitely a challenge but i think these are five guys who deserve to be on the list so at least, at least we agree on that definitely it's crazy even that nolan ryan started with the rangers and and when he was 42 years old and he was still pumping it and he was able to make this list exactly <laughs> yeah. a three four three era um still put up incredible numbers actually had the uh, i know it's a shortened uh you know time frame but had the best era plus with the texas rangers of his whole entire career mm -hmm. compared to any, uh, any other teams and but th that's probably why he has that on his cap in cooperstown exactly and also the iconic moment of uh the uh the infamous charging the mound fight i think with uh robin ventura beating up and robin just ventura, pretty yeah. much letting a 45 year old just be up this young kid it's pretty iconic so cool that we have the same list there alex interested to see who you have for your ninth inning closer for the rangers i think there's a few ways to go here I went with Neftali Feliz, Travis. I think he was just too good in his prime. He had some great ERA years. Uh, really, really dominant for the uh, Rangers team that we keep mentioning that won back-to-back -back pennants. Travis, I think you look at any sort of iconic team that had, had an iconic run, they probably had a lockdown closer, and he was this guy for them. There's probably some other options, but I went Feliz just for that. Did he blow a couple World Series games? Yes. But if you put in a defensive sub in right field, maybe he doesn't. So he's the, he's uh, he's the closer. He's out there, uh, you know, with the team. Yeah, yeah. So because of that, Travis, he is my guy. Let me hear who you got. Yep, same guy, Natalie okay. Feliz. Uh, you know, kind of crazy. Him and Elvis Andrews were acquired in the trade with uh, Mark Teixeira. Mark Teixeira was the wow. first started his career with Texas, went to Atlanta, and Atlanta sent over Andrews and Feliz. Of course, two great players that helped them get to two straight World Series runs. And, uh, you know, I think honestly, back in that, back in the start of the 2010, 2009, into about 2013, um, that prime, Andrews, of course, was very considered almost higher than Derek Jeter in that time. And Feliz was actually uh, considered a little bit of a more value than uh, Mariano Rivera. I just remember hearing back in the back in those days, both these guys were so young and they were kind of challenging the starting pitcher uh, you know, of Marion Rivera and the shortstop of Derek Cheater with Elvis Andrews, uh, two guys that were, of course, very influential, like I said, in those runs. But I just remember hearing that back in the day where for AL all-star teams, people were saying, nah, nah, Feliz and Andrews, they're, they're the new wave, you know, R Rivera and Jeter are kind of the older guys. Now we're going to go with the newer guys. And so Feliz had some really good years with Texas, uh, back to back 30 plus save years. And then of course, ERA was always below. I felt like a three. He was just always locked down for the Rangers. Um, but that kind of sums up our Texas Rangers team, a good team. A lot of guys, I feel like from like 95 to present day are on this team. Yep. It's not like the A's where you go back to 1901 or 1920. We have a lot exactly. of powerful sluggers. So it's cool to see that this team, me and Alex kind of grew up watching and knowing some of these guys that play, but We'll move on to the next team, Alex, and that is going to be the all-time Seattle Mariners team. So um, this team, of course, I think Mariners were starting up in the late 70s, if not the 80s. Uh, they are not a team like the A's, of course. Uh, the history is not the same, right? Exactly, exactly. So actually started up in 1977. So this has actually been their 45th year as a franchise. So again, uh, somewhat, I guess, of the newer franchises when you look at the overall body of work for the MLB franchises. But Alex, we'll start off with the catching position. Who do you got for the all-time Mariners team? 
I did not think I would have this guy on my list until I actually made it, Travis. I, <laughs> I'm quite surprised, but I have Mike Zunino as my all-time nice, Mariners catcher. Nice, okay. Who do you got? So for me, uh, I went with a guy that I think was there for almost 10 years. Right. Uh, this is going to be Dan Wilson. Yeah. Uh, I guess for me, the longevity really mattered, and I went with the guy that, I mean, was pretty much there during their 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 run from 95 all the way there till the early parts of the great Ichiro days. So this guy, of course, was around to catch some of the greats, uh, you know, Randy Johnson, Jamie Moyer, some of these other great pitchers for the the Mariners. Uh, he was around for all that. So I kind of went for, of course, the overall, like, you know, just the longevity of the Mariners. But I definitely can see why he went with Zanino. Yeah, Zanino, uh, I did, like I said, I didn't think I'd have him. Um, he has some rocky years for sure, but he has a great 2017, probably the best catching season they've had, uh, a 125 OPS plus with 25 homers. Actually, back-to-back seasons, he had 25 homers and then 20 homers. Three total years, he exceeded 20 homers as a catcher, which is pretty impressive with the bat. And then uh, we know from today's data, Travis, obviously we don't know this info about uh, Dan Wilson with as much accuracy, but Zunino is a really great framer. He's got you know some great stat cast numbers in terms of his defense. Yep. So factoring that in as well influenced my pick a little bit because Wilson may well have been a great defensive catcher, but I know for sure that Zunino is a great defensive catcher. Yep. Uh, a 3.4 war in 2017 um, is probably one of the best seasons you're going to find as a, as a Mariners catcher. So I went with Zunino. It can be argued for sure. Did he have a better year this year in Tampa Bay? Yes. But um, yeah, overall, I liked what he did overall in his peak years of Seattle Mariners play. Yep. Yep. So we'll move now to the right side of the infield, first and second base. Alex, for first base, I went with a guy that's really not a really attractive name uh, for the Mariners. I went with Alvin Davis. Uh, played during the 80s and the 70s Mariners so of course one of the first guys I feel like there during when the franchise kind of first started getting started uh, 12th in uh, war for the entire franchise's history so at a 20.1 war with the Mariners uh, one of the top wars for a first baseman in Seattle Mariners history uh, so he's my first base pick and then second base pick I went with Robinson Cano so Robinson Cano of course really interesting leaving new york and being just that prime time second baseman i think at, at you know the time he left new york everyone was thinking this guy has a really good shot of being an all-time uh you know one of the best second basemans of all time possibly even the best some of the best power for a second baseman that we have seen but uh he went to seattle uh played five years with seattle had some very nice seasons i know he had a a, a year that got cut a little bit short because of steroids and everything of that but in 2016, Alex, 39 homers with the Mariners, a career high that year, 103 ribbies. Uh, and then, of course, every single year, you know, batting just about 300, had a 296 batting average with them and had a, uh, a 129 OPS plus, the best OPS plus uh, with any team that he's had in his career, of course. But uh, I went with Cano and Alvin Davis. Who do you got? So we agree on first base. I have Alvin Davis. I think a lot of his numbers are you know, like you said, he's a low-key guy. People may not have heard of him, um, but some of his numbers are too good to ignore. He, as a Mariner, has a 381 on base percentage. That's super good. Yeah. For someone that you know, a lot of people probably never heard of. Um, OPS plus 147 in his rookie year, one rookie of the year that year, a 141 and a 156 in back-to-back years in 88 and 89. Definitely just a great underrated player. Um, you know, played lots of games and just. Had a short career, unfortunately, only nine years as a pro in the Major League Baseball. So because of that, might not have heard of him, but 
100% deserves to be the franchise first baseman in my mind. Second base, I actually went with Brett Boone. Okay, nice And pick. so I think that Boone and Cano are the – it's an obvious two-man race for who you pick for second baseman. Yeah. And Cano makes a lot of sense, and I think Boone makes sense for other reasons. And I just went with Boone probably primarily just because the steroids gave Cano a little bit of an edge that I feel like I'm just going to go with Boone because of that. Besides that – I think Cano overall, if he was 100% clean, I might pick him. Mm-hmm. But uh, seven years in Seattle for Boone, 116 OPS plus, which is worse than Cano. But I think Boone probably has the best season of anyone that you're going to be talking about for yeah. second base. He has a monster 2001, 141 RBIs, which yeah. is a crazy, <laughs> crazy number. Obviously on a really high-powered team that year. Tons of guys getting on in front of him. Uh, and then he batted at 331. Batting average, 372 on base, 578 slugging that wow. year. Yeah. For 153 OPS plus, got third in MVP voting, had 37 homers. His war for that season, Travis, is really what kind of won me over. 8.8 war, MVP caliber war, Definitely. MVP caliber season really from a guy who most of his career was, you know, good but not spectacular. His career, his career OPS plus is 101, so pretty much an average hitter for his career. But this one year in Seattle – um, was his, obviously his best and probably the best of any second baseman in for the team's history. So yeah, yeah I went with him. Definitely. And I, I know uh, he, finishing third, it's crazy. You go Ichiro, Giambi, and then Boone that year. It's like it's yeah. just that upper uh, northwest of the United States just getting all the MVP votes that year and the AL West just stealing all the uh, – Stacked with, with talent, yeah. Exactly. And, of course, two 35-plus home run seasons. So he definitely had a prime with the, with the Mariners. That was definitely something to – uh, really look at but good pick with that I was definitely considering him um, Cano of course war better war but with, right of course the cheating and all that stuff who knows you know it's kind of just a, a, a bad look I would say a bit of the, a smudge at least it is it is definitely but uh, let's go to the left side of the infield Alex I have for shortstop Alex Rodriguez um, I think we'll be pretty even on that one and then third base Alex I have Kyle Seager so Kyle Seager of course just finishing up his last season uh if he does not re-sign with them but uh been with the team I feel like for the whole entire like 2010s decade I feel like when you think of the of the Mariners this past 10 years Kyle Seager just definitely rings the bell when uh you think of that team because he's just been there through all all the losing and of course some of the seasons where they really had some good winning seasons but couldn't get through to the playoffs but that's my left side who you got for your left side yeah we completely agree alex rodriguez is such an obvious pick he is someone who'll be talking about a lot more travis in january because he is going on the hall of fame ballot for the first time in his career there's tons to talk about because he is hit by his numbers inner circle hall of famer possibly the best shortstop ever um but the steroids is an issue he received a steroid suspension but that wasn't even at his time as a mariner in seattle in seattle as far as we know he was playing clean even if he wasn't the numbers are just too good to put anyone else above him his numbers are just incredible mvp caliber numbers even though he did not win until he left seattle um and then of course going to third base like you said kyle seager is kind of the only pick i think there's no one else that has the combined longevity and also I guess production as Kyle Seager does. I think he's like what, like fifth or sixth like all time in WAR for the for the franchise. Yeah, right. He's seventh right now on the okay. list if he does not come back. Um, just shy of a Rod. Actually, I think he's just almost like looks like it's one and a half WAR shy of a Rod for six. So, so uh, even yeah. though even though it's probably mostly counting stats there, and he's just kind of slowly producing over you know multiple years. 
that for me still gets the job done for a, a franchise third base. I think most Mariners fans would agree with that. Definitely, definitely. And so uh, we'll move now to the outfield portion. And Alex, I think this is a pretty, pretty good three outfielders. Yeah. That really won't be too much of a debate. Uh, Jay Buhner, Ken Griffey Jr., and Ichiro Suzuki. Who do you got for your outfield? Same three. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Both guys, Ichiro and King Griffey Jr., of course, with the war. I mean, just... Inner I mean, Circle Hall of Famers. I mean, Ichiro just being a rock star, number of hits. Um, if you look at, of course, all of his hits, if you compare, if you add up the Japanese League and MLB, more hits than Pete Rose, probably the all-time hit king when you look at it all. Could have almost even had, you know, 5,000 hits, I feel like. I think every single year he was out to get 200 and something hits. Uh, it was kind of a crazy decade that he played in from 2001 to 2010. Uh, he was a rock star. And then Griffey, I mean, kind of, I feel like the guy of the nineties because of just the all time, like rock star status of being this guy who is a insane defender and also can hit these home runs. He also made the all century team, Alex, when they made that list in 1999 as an active player, as an active player. And everyone was kind of just blown away that this guy's only been playing really nine years uh, and he's already on that all-century team as a center fielder. So those, of course, are the three outfielders, pretty easy. And then Jay Buhner, of course, being kind of that good uh, outfielder of the 90s, helping them get to those uh, some of those crazy playoff runs that they had in, in 95 to 99. Um, he was really a really big part of that team. DH, Alex, pretty easy pick as well. Edgar Martinez for me. Who do you got? Yeah, Edgar is the clear pick, Travis. He is, you know... I think I think a lot of Mariners fans will say he is like the GOAT DH, the yeah. number one DH. And you know, there's tons of guys who could be in that kind of conversation. He's certainly a very good pick for that uh, title. Um, he has to be the pick. Travis, I'll be honest, I really want to put him at third base because yeah. <laughs> he does have some games played at third base. He does. Because then you can, you know, Seeger, obviously to his own credit, deserves that spot, but Martinez, without a doubt, a better player than Seeger. So you can kind of hide Seeger, get him off the list, and put some, <laughs> yeah. put someone else at DH yeah. with a better bat. But overall, I think it just makes the most sense to have Martinez here. Hall of Famer, two-time batting title. Um, overall, he led the league in OPS once as well, got third in MVP in 95, was a part of a lot of great Mariners teams, and was a career Mariner. Played through his 41, too. Pretty impressive. So overall, he it just has to be Edgar. Um, of course, the double, if you're aware, uh, <laughs> an uh, iconic, you know, series winning, uh, you know, iconic extra base hit to getting Griffey. So a part of too much Mariners history to not be here. So he has to be the DH. Uh, no questions. Yeah. And I honestly, I really think before before David Ortiz, I think when you thought of the designated hitter, Edgar Martinez was the guy that you always thought of just being that extra base hit machine and how clutch he was. Uh, I think he really uh, was a pioneer with getting that DH role added into MLB. So uh, he, of course, our all-time DH for the Mariners. Alex, starting pitching, I'll go first. And then, of course, you will give me your five as well. I had, of course, Felix Hernandez, Randy Johnson, Jamie Moyer, Freddie Garcia, and Hisashi Iwakuma. So our five are slightly different. Okay. Four of the same. So I have Randy Johnson, Felix Hernandez, Freddie Garcia, Jamie Moyer, and I actually threw in James Paxton. Okay. So okay. Uh, I like your pick as well. Talk me through uh, your your fifth man. Yeah, you know Iwakuma was a guy that he he really he only pitched six years with the Mariners. Only pitched six years in the MLB, but with the Mariners. Every single year was a workhorse in innings pitched, of course, going, you know, I feel like over 150 innings pitched every year, uh, a 3-4-2 career ERA in the majors, and of course, a 3-4-2 ERA with the Mariners. I feel like he was a very good complement to Felix Hernandez 
in those uh, 2010s, 2012 to 2017, he pitched. And actually, it's funny, he's kind of like an Ichiro, started his career at the age of 31. So already was a, kind of an old guy coming into the majors, pitching a lot in Japan and then coming over. Finished third in Cy Young in 2013 with a 266 ERA. Uh, I just liked, you know, how he basically every single year was just honestly that great protection for Felix. Uh, then again, of course, I think he had uh, one of the top 25, 20 wars of uh, actually number 20 on the all-time war for the Mariners at a 16.9, so almost a 17 war. Uh, just thought, of course, he was a great kind of, you know, pitcher that really no one talked about, but him and Felix had kind of a low-key, I feel like, you know, double you know trouble kind of yeah yeah it, monster they, kind of vibe. They, they they were definitely a, a pair of guys that really brought a lot of problems for um for al ball clubs and i just remember hearing uh you know so many years uh in the early 2010s you know yankees always trying to target felix hernandez and iwakuma somehow in a trade getting those two guys to new york i remember they were very uh always thrown up every single offseason in the news can these two guys get over to new york but uh, that's my five. And then, of course, you went with uh, Paxton for your fifth guy. Tell yeah. me why you went with that guy. Yeah, so seven years in Seattle for Paxton. I mean, one of those is counting this year, of course. Yep. Pitched one start, one one and a one-third inning, of course. Season ended in injury. But, yeah, Travis, looking at you know the bulk of his years in Seattle was 2013 through 2018. And uh, his time in Seattle has a 117 ERA plus, so a bit better than Iwakuma. But I completely understand the argument for both. Um, definitely more of a workhorse yep. on your staff, uh, whereas Paxton on my staff is going to have a bit better of the uh, average base, the rate base statistics. And that's just a matter of preference. You know, I think uh, your guy has more war as well. So um, I think there's argument for both. And I think overall the Mariners, they have kind of a lot of guys who are kind of on the borderline of do they deserve to make on this kind of rotation. So definitely we went with different guys and, and yeah, we'll see if, you know, Paxton actually never mind. I was going to say if he's going to resign and extend his time, but he of course is going to the Red Sox yep. this off season. So, um, you know, he's still kind of writing his story, but as a Mariner, I think he just, for me, just barely got in the spot. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. And so we'll move now to the ninth inning role, the closer. And, you know, it's funny. There are two guys I, of course, really wanted to put on this list, but they did not play five years with the Mariners. So I guess by our own rules, they kind of got screwed. Uh, so I guess those two honorable mention guys are, uh, I think his first name's is Casiro. Kasiro Sasaki, and he was the closing pitcher for the Mariners back in that 2001 team. 45 saves in a season. I just feel like he was very locked down for that 2001 116-win Mariners team. And then also, uh, the guy that you've heard of, of recent, uh, it's uh, Edwin Diaz. For the uh, He actually now plays for the Mets, but he was a great, great closer uh, back in, I think, 2018. Had 57 saves, Alex. I was very scared he was going to come close to, or at least challenge, uh, K Rod's all time single season record. Mm -hmm. Uh, 57 saves in a season. That's, that's pretty impressive, uh, in one season for a closing pitcher. So those two guys are definitely honorable mentions. Uh, but of course for me, I had JJ puts JJ puts was the closer back in kind of like the 2005 to 2010 era of the Mariners, very locked down, a great and good closer for those third all time on the saves mark for the, uh, Seattle Mariners franchise. I went with him. Who do you got for that role? Yeah, so I also have puts, and uh, pretty much same as you. The only reason I have puts is because, like you said, uh, Kazuhiro Sasaki, unfortunately, four years played as a Mariner, four years played in the MLB, which is just kind of 
kind of crazy age 32 to age 35 season so we only saw him in the mlb as really like a veteran like uh, yeah. past his prime yeah. you would probably think based on the age but he has four above average years as a closer two of them actually really like all-star level like this guy um was pretty much elite i'd say uh he's he's the mariners saves all-time leader mm-hmm. despite pitching four years in uh, yeah. major league baseball which is crazy really hard to believe but yeah it's 314 career era uh 138 era plus for him uh one of the best four-year stretches you'll find for any mariners relief pitcher so he uh of course has to get snubbed because of the of the years pitched but i don't want to completely just you know discount puts we can't spend the whole time not talking about puts but <laughs> yeah. uh, he's someone who uh had his prime on a couple different teams i think you could say but uh started out his career with uh with the mariners and as a mariner for six years had a 143 era plus so on a rate basis super deserving of having you know a closer type uh all, all franchise closer type of guy um yeah i think overall puts is the logical pick considering the five-year minimum of playtime he actually got MVP votes in 2007 for a great 1.38 ERA and 65 games finished, um, which led baseball. So, yeah, overall puts is probably the obvious pick considering our limitations. Definitely, definitely. So that kind of rounds up the uh, the third team of the AOS, the Seattle Mariners. We'll move now to the fourth team, Alex. And this is, again, our team, uh, the Angels. Once the California Angels, then the Anaheim Angels. And then the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, and now the Los Angeles Angels. I love how we don't move, but our name keeps changing. But uh, they all count for this list. <laughs> exactly, they all count for this list. All being in, uh, always being in SoCal. So uh, we'll start, of course, with the catching position. Alex, who do you got for your all-time Angels catcher? So for catcher, Travis, I went with someone who I put someone else down, and I ended up switching up. So I actually went with Brian Downing, and okay. so he has time played at first base let me double check i think it's first base outfield and also catcher and dh i think but anyways he was a catcher for several seasons and i think he did put up one of his best seasons as a catcher so yeah just to confirm uh his positions include catcher dh kind of all around the infield early in his career and then eventually kind of settled in as a outfielder dh type but uh yeah as an as a california angel has a first three seasons playing more catcher than any other position and his best season overall was as a catcher in 1979 had a 142 ops plus a great 418 on base percentage so he definitely walked a bunch but he also slugged a bit too had a, a 27 doubles 75 homers in a pretty you know i would say a pretty uh offensively weak era so that's good for a 142 ops plus 14th in mvp voting so overall uh one of the best offensive seasons you'll see from any angels catcher i'd say and then uh of course you know i think people might look at him as like an option for like outfielder dh just because he played a good 13 years with uh the california angels a 126 ops plus as an angel but i saw him saw him as catcher because i just felt like that was a good place to kind of sneak his bat into my lineup no definitely he's an all-timer i feel like for the angels you could look at so many different positions and put him in there because he uh, was almost like that super utility guy that went around and almost could play everywhere. So I'm glad you actually mentioned him because he was a guy that I was really thinking about for my list as, you know, where could I put this guy in? Because I know he's just a guy that's been there for so long and was so instrumental in some of those uh, 80s teams. But for me, Alex, for catcher, 
uh, one with the guy that helped, of course, bring a ring to Anaheim, mm-hmm. and that is Benji Molina. Yeah. So Benji Molina, of course, the oldest of the Molina brothers, uh, another great defensive catcher not a great of course offensive catcher when you look at the ops pluses and the molina brothers it's just it's just not a good number for those guys i mean i think all three of them have an ops plus below 100 so they're almost below uh average hitters but great defensive players uh had a 273 average with in his eight years as an angel uh, as for his career as an angel so really kind of a good number if you look at a catcher i feel like nowadays catchers are all going to be in two the two the 250s the 240s, you yeah. know, not a very good batting average number for catchers, but was, of course, uh, a good hitter batting in, I think, the eighth or the ninth hole of that Angels lineup for so long. Um, and then, of course, a great, great defender for the Angels. So I had him as my uh, catcher for the Angels. Alex, let's move to first base and second base, the right let's side infield. Uh, really interested to see who we have for some of these people because I know we've had in the past some conversations, but. Uh, I'll let you go first for the first and second base spots. So first base, Travis, I went with Wally Joyner. Very nice. So, Very nice. Uh, you know, there's an obvious other candidate. Uh, I'm not sure if you who you picked, but uh, essentially it's, it comes down to my mind, a race between Joyner and Carew. We can have that conversation in a minute here. For second base, Travis, I have Bobby Gritch. Just too much war, I think, in my mind to not be on the list. Um, so he makes my second base spot. Tell me about your right side of the infield and we can talk. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Alex first base, I'm with our pools. Okay. <laughs> wow. So I know it's kind of a, it's kind of a stinger, uh, for both of us. I went with Pujols just of course, for longevity reasons. I think he it probably has the most home runs and RBIs, uh, and probably doubles for the all time first baseman list for the angels. Uh, at the time, I kind of was thinking about it and, you know, nine something years. I know that batting average and the, the percentage stats probably aren't that pretty to look at. But looking at the home runs, x base hits, total bases still was a somewhat of a machine, I guess, for those parts. The first, I guess, you know, 2012 to 2016, the Angels, 24, I'm sorry, 2015, 40 home runs was, an, was the starting all-star first baseman for the AL all-star team, which is just still, I feel like, I think I forget about that every single year. And it's just kind of like, huh? Like AL couldn't really provide someone else to be the first baseman for that team. But Pujols for me was my all-time Angels first baseman. Um, hopefully in the next 10 years, we'd be talking about someone else as the all-time first baseman for the Angels. But he is my Walsh. first baseman. Exactly. Uh, he'll be that guy. But for second base, of course, too, uh, that'll be Bobby Gritch. And Bobby Gritch, Alex, just a kind of a, a really interesting career. 71 war. And He's another guy that possibly could be a veterans committee guy in the future. He just he should be a veterans he, committee he, guy. He, you know, if you if you look at War and you really like the stat of War, he's a guy that is hands down a Hall of Famer because you look at some of the greats, they don't even have a War as close to seventy one. Right. I mean, I'm trying to think of some guys that are in that seventy one range. I think Tony Gwynn has just about that number. It's I think just, he's below, if I'm not mistaken. It might be a little bit below or a little bit higher. I just know he's right in that range. But Bobby Gritch, 71 war, was a great, great second baseman for that Angels team from 77 to 86. So really was helpful in the, in the years of 79, 82, and 86 for those AL uh, West titles for the Angels. So Bobby Gritch, easy, easy second base pick for me. Hopefully again in 10 years, we'll be talking about another guy for the second base spot. I feel like at the Angels, Alex, we could really make this list 10 years from now and it will just be completely different yeah we'll see if, if we have a great decade then that's certainly certainly possible i, I want to revisit the first base conversation okay. real quick Travis, okay. just because 
I just did not expect pool, so I had, to, <laughs> I, I had to pull out the stats and take a look. But um, from a counting, stat master, yeah, from a counting stats perspective, there's certainly an argument for pools because of some of the home runs he hit, the doubles he was able to accrue. Hey, hey, and one triple in ten years. That's that's a big one right there. That that you're <laughs> correct, and that is surprisingly <laughs> sad. But uh, anyways, I I really thought one of us would have Karuk. I feel like. Everyone always thinks of Carew's Angels as like, okay, he was better as a twin, yeah. but he was still good as an angel, and he's a yeah, Hall of Famer. Yeah, but yeah. in reality, Travis, his numbers are just slightly worse than Wally Joyner's across the board, and they're kind of similar players. So what I liked about Wally Joyner, Travis, seven years as an angel, a 121 OPS plus, okay. and that compares to Pools is like a, what is it, a 108? 108, yeah. Okay, so it's an advantage Joyner, but of course Pools has more years and put up but more. But just worse, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Percentage <laughs> stats-wise, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think overall there's a case to be made for a handful of guys here. I think even Carew has some somewhat of a case. But Travis, just whenever I see, when I, when I think about the Rod Carew versus Joyner argument I had in my head, it just kind of reminded me of this angels nature they have where they pick up players past their prime <laughs> and they just let them kind of rot away. And it's just like, yeah, they just rot away. And, and the pools adds perfectly to this equation. So Definitely. I actually, uh, I mean, I mean, imagine you had, you had a uh, Pujols, Carew and Reggie Jackson in their prime on the angels. You know, it's kind of like you can make a team of the angels where if you took all their best players they've ever had and, you know, had them in their prime, we would be pretty a pretty stacked franchise. And then just throughout our Angels history, like Frank Robinson, Reggie Jackson, Torrey Hunter, all Angels that like Fred Lynn, they are great players, but they we probably got them and we're paying them for their best years, which were probably behind them. Definitely. Uh, in fairness. And then uh another guy, Justin Upton, kinda of in that same category too. Yeah, don't even mention him. Paying no. him too much money for his old self. Um but yeah, Travis, comparing Carew and Joyner for me. Joiner is a slight lead in in war in war per sixty five plate appearances in OPS plus and he has more plate appearances than Caruso. Joiner over Caruso for me. Joiner versus Pujols, it's like comparing apples and oranges almost because Joiner has all the rate based stats and then Pujols has all the you know home the counting stats, more home yeah, runs yeah, more RBIs. Yeah. He was batting behind Mike Trout for goodness sake, so he's going to rack that kind of stuff up in, <laughs> exactly. a, in, in a big way. Exactly. So. Exactly. Um, interesting pick, but we can move, we can move on now. Yep, yep. So uh, we'll go now to the left side of the infield, Alex. And for me, I had Jim Fergosi for the shortstop position, and then for third base, I had Troy Gloss. Uh, two, you know, Jim Fergosi, of course, was kind of the first angel. You know, he was a guy that was on the team, I believe, when they were, uh, you know, just starting out as a franchise. So he was kind of the early guy and spent a lot of years with the Angels, and then of course. Uh, Troy Gloss, one of the huge, huge bats in the 2002 World Series and the playoffs, uh, had an all-time World Series that or playoffs that year. So, give me your left side, third base, and shortstop. So, yep, we have the exact same. Jim Fergosi and Troy Gloss are the picks in my mind. Uh, Fergosi, Travis, someone who, if you look at his, you know, individual seasons, there's a lot of years where I'm not that impressed, right? But if you look at his his war as an angel, he was the leader until Mike Trout came along. He was the most war of any Angels player for baseball reference war. That in and of itself just says a lot about, you know, consistency for the franchise. And if I'm not mistaken, Travis, he actually was part of the trade that brought us Nolan Ryan. So that's even a little extra boost for getting us that, that kind You're of right. guy and starting that career off in a big way. But yeah, overall, um, Fergosi for me is the is the uh, shortstop pick. 
Uh, like I said, some of the years not that impressive, but still six all all stars, a Gold Glove award to his name, and was an above average hitter for multiple years, a 141 OPS plus actually one year, which is which is very very good. Um, but as an Angel, just a 116 OPS plus. Gloss, however, Travis, of course, the 2002 World Series, the go ahead uh, RBI RBIs yep, that yep. he he knocked in in uh, in Game Six will just live in Angels hands uh, heads forever, just like. The, the clutches at bat of the franchise essentially yep. and then uh also just factoring in just some of the great like almost mvp caliber years who's getting mvp votes as our third baseman for a multiple years in a row so for that reason uh he has to be a third base pick in my mind definitely and uh still has the all-time single season home record for the angels which shohei was just trying to break almost did yeah uh 47 homers in 2000 that got him the american league silver slugger for the third base position and then of course next year hit 41 home runs so uh really was a really insane power bat for that angels uh ball club in the early 2000s and of course bad right in the middle of that lineup but uh alex we can now move on to the outfield position uh for the angels alex three guys are, of course our franchise guys that is garrett anderson that is mr mike trout and that is Vladimir Guerrero for my three outfielders. Interested to see who you got for your outfield. Very easy. Anderson, Trout, Guerrero. Yep. <laughs> not much Not much to debate. And I think DH is probably pretty easy too. Yep. yep. Uh, I have Tim Salmon there. Yep. Tim Salmon. I think those four were just pretty. Uh, I, I, I think that's the, that was probably the most sure thing of this entire. Of all five teams, I said me and Travis will have the same Angels outfield and DH. Yep. I think it's four guys that. You know, maybe you can you could rearrange them if you want someone else to be DH, but like those have to be the four guys in those spots. Yeah, in yep. my mind at least. Yep. You know, uh, and, unless you're a huge, you know, you can maybe say I'm a huge Tory Hunter fan, or even a Darren Erstad fan, uh, or even you could even say Jim Edmonds. But I just, of course, think Guerrero winning. You know, what I think that was the second MVP in franchise history, and having that just that great. 2004 to 2009 at the angels probably the the golden era of angels baseball was that you know i would probably say 2002 to 2009 run yeah. angels were just kind of the uh standard of the american league uh one of the most successful teams and then with garrett anderson being a part of that run as well huge huge game seven rbi double that cleared the bases gave them the uh three runs in that one and i think it was the third inning against uh the giants and and ended up of course helping them win the world series and then mike trout i mean he'll be on uh he'll be on he'll he's, be on some other lists he, I think, he's, as he's, well. ha- he's halfway through his career and he's already a leader in war by a lot it's, I mean, it's, it's a pretty big lock it, it's it's pretty sad when you look at that and you just see the war leaders and you're just like yeah you it's, look at somebody, we, we have this like 30 year old and he's just like ahead of everybody yeah <laughs> he's doubled already with almost almost doubled salmon so uh that is our outfield and that is our dh tim salmon tim salmon kind of of course almost like a mr angel i think 15 something years with the organization so uh he of course is um going to be of course an all-time dh but starting pitching right now alex this offseason of course angels were trying to get some starting pitching you look at their all-time starting pitching like rotation as we're going to say right now it's not that bad i mean they have some guys that are all-timers so uh let me hear your first five and then i'll go with my five okay so uh starting off with nolan ryan i also have jared weaver chuck finley Frank Tanana, and in my fifth spot, I actually do squeeze in John Lackey. Nice. But go ahead and give me your five. We'll discuss. Nice, nice, nice. So I actually had four of the five. So my same guys, of course, are Nolan Ryan, Jared Weaver, Chuck Finley, Frank Tanana. But then I kind of snuck in there. I put in Dean Chance. 
So Dean Chance back in, I think, honestly, it was the early 60s, uh, you know, 70s guy. But just kind of one of the first guys actually came in in 1961, was one of the first players on the inaugural season team. But uh, had some really insane years. Actually won one of the Cy Youngs for the Angels back in 1964, a 20-game winner, a 1-6-5 ERA season. Probably one of the best years pitched of any angel strike I mean, pitcher ever i mean you look at it too 15 complete games 11 shutouts 278 innings pitch i'm kind of getting almost like bob gibson uh vibes right now when i when yeah. i see this season i mean it, it's a very very insane season uh, a 200 era plus uh then again of course winning the cy young but his first six years of his career were with anaheim a 283 era so just an insanely good consistent pitcher for the angels i really wish we had him now because uh <laughs> these numbers of course would he'd probably be a 25 game winner if he had some of these some of these numbers but uh talking through kind of john lackey i know he has been there for the big games 100 percent, yeah uh there's a, definitely a case for chance i actually wrote on my list dean chance hard snub it was it was a <laughs> yeah. conversation i think i had him down at one point and i ended up uh, taking him off and putting lackey but lackey travis um he had a very impressive mlb leading 3.01 ERA, sorry, American League leading 3.01 ERA in 07. Only got third in Cy Young voting, Travis, but 224 innings pitched that year, uh, 150 ERA plus, which led the American League, uh, and two shutouts. You see 301, Travis, it's not that impressive of a number, but you put it in the context of 2007 American League, the offense is crazy that time. Rod, Poppy, Ramirez, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know the names. Yeah. Folks at home is probably know the names too. These guys were just absolute sluggers, um, and Lackey's going up against them. Of course, showed up big in the postseason, and probably gets a little bit of bonus extra credit. You know it well. You know the stat well, Travis. Was the I think it was the first ever rookie to win a game seven. At least he's the last. He's the most recent rookie to win a game seven that I can remember. But yeah, a rookie to win game seven of a World Series to have the confidence to put him in and get that job done Insane. is obviously huge. Um, so yeah, 2002 was his first season all the way through 09 as an angel and overall had a 116 ERA plus, which I believe is just a tick below Dean Chance, but a bit more war for Lackey, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think with Dean Chance, um, the one season is, <clears throat> excuse me, the one season is very incredible. The 165 ERA, the 278 innings pitched, 200 ERA plus led all of MLB in 1964 i just think that some of the other years the eras are just a lot less impressive or like a 108 107 era plus 107 era plus this other year um i think if i had to pick just best prime or like a best season this yeah. guy has to 100 be like a top two or three option for the angels but i just went with lackey for i guess the the body of work combined with the postseason i guess yeah and i know that me and you growing up watching the angels lackey is kind of like our are you know he's the he's the model of the pitching from the angels that we we you know we know just year in and year out always being a workhorse and always getting us a division title um it's not that way now we wish it can be but it was just crazy you know watching him grow up and pitch those seasons with the angels uh, i'm not gonna of course uh downplay that one of course right if you would have said something maybe like a wit or a langston i would have been like okay now let's have that discussion yeah. but lackey is definitely a guy that's an all-timer for the angels but we'll move now to the ninth inning the closer role alex and there's really really only two names i mean there's really right. two names on this list agreed i went with troy percival um all-time leader for saves for the angels 10 years with the angels of course 
closed out the World Series 2002 was so iconic in the postseason. Uh, that season, Alex in 2002 had a 192 ERA with a 232 ERA plus with 40 saves. He was very iconic that year. I mean, just a great ERA and a great numbers overall for that season. And then, of course, his career at the Angels, a 299 career ERA with the Angels with 10 years of it being pitched. Um, thoughts on that? What is your ninth inning guy? And, and give me give me what you think. So my closer for this team, Travis, is Frankie Rodriguez. Nice, so nice. Okay. both guys you mentioned, there's two gets a two-man race, and we're covering kind of both of them here. And we can say they're on the same team at the same time. So can you imagine that eighth and ninth inning lockdown situation? It, it has to be one of the best ever yeah, uh, yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah, looking at Percival's numbers, there's a lot to like with your pick for sure. Um, like you said, was the closer for the World Series winning team. And Frankie Rodriguez was the rookie setting up for that spot. So just a super iconic duo. And both kind of have arguments to deserve this kind of spot. I went with um, I went with Frankie. He has the better ERA+. plus. His ERA+, plus as an angel, is 189. That is so impressive across seven Insane. seasons. That is, yeah, that's like all-star caliber as your average. Um, yeah, and yeah. so he really was kind of setting the tone, led MLB in saves twice as an angel, and one time at 62 saves, of course, is the all-time record for saves in a single season by a new relief pitcher in MLB history. So uh, that keeping that in mind, I think it's just, it's a, obviously a tight race, and uh, Percival is probably the more cumulative uh more seasons more seasons as like the main closer therefore has more saves and all that kind of stuff but i think uh if i had to pick a guy to close my ninth inning i would just trust uh frankie rodriguez probably more than anyone else no uh, definitely and that was it was definitely going to come down to those two and it was a tough one um i i'm not even going to even completely argue with that that is just that is a great pick i wish we could do eighth and ninth inning because that would just be pretty easy it would be, it'd um, be oh yeah those I'm, guys are locked down and i know with k-rod being the number 62 62 saves in a season all time in a single season uh, that's definitely a great pick to have for the ninth inning and of course Percival being the all-time guy 10 years with the angels uh he's my pick for that one but we'll now move alex to our final and last team of the al west and that is the team that has been the most successful uh i would say the past five years in probably baseball uh and that is the houston astros five straight american league championship appearances and of course every other year getting to the world series i feel like and you know just being just an all-time organization with these last five years some of these guys that are on this list alex i'm pretty sure they're they're on this list last, they were on this team last year you know right they have a great group of guys that are playing for them right now so i guess we'll kick it off with the catching position alex i have for my starting catcher on the all-time astros i have craig biggio so I went with Craig Biggio just because he started his career with the Astros. He played a lot of games at second base, played, played a lot of games in the outfield, some games as DH, but also played games as a catcher. So I had to put him in my catcher role because, of course, I might maybe want to save some room for some other guys that I'll name later. But uh, That makes a lot of sense. He is my catcher for the Astros team. Who do you got for your catcher? So my starting catcher is the same. I also have Craig Biggio. Uh like you alluded to, we'll talk about second base in a minute, but 
his primary position of all time is going to be second base for Biggio, but his second best, most position is possibly catcher. Also played a lot of outfield too. Yep. Could do it all. But I think Biggio, if he was going to be on this team and if this team was going to make some sort of seven-game series, he'd say, Coach, I'll be catcher yeah. so we can fit another bat in at second base. Exactly. And uh, I completely agree. So we're probably good to move on to that. Probably the fastest catcher of all time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, the fact the fact that he's you know has the, the wheels and – 3,000 hits, of course, yeah. not not all as a catcher, not most of them not as a catcher, but how many catchers can you even say that about? So, exactly. Super exactly. impressive to get his bat in at, at catcher, and he also brings the defense too. So definitely, uh, great to sneak him in there. Definitely, definitely. And so that's our catcher role. Uh, now moving to the right side of the infield, first and second base, Alex for first base, Jeff Bagwell, pretty easy pick. Was just the slugger of the '90s, and for that Astros team, him and Biggio, great teammates. And then for second base. Uh, kind of the face of the Astros now how's Jose Altuve um gonna be an all-timer for the Astros hopefully I think he might stay with them for the for the entire time of his career but Bagwell Altuve right side who do you got so we actually agree I have Jeff Bagwell and Jose Altuve and I think um if you're considering Biggio a catcher, it's not much debate uh Bagwell Definitely. is for sure the franchise first baseman he is possibly the franchise player he's just yeah. he's he's such a elite hitter if you look at his best seasons in those 90s uh just one of the best right-handed hitter stretches of all time uh has to be the first baseman on this team iconic batting stance too also just add some some, some I, extra credit points i love that batting stance that is probably one of the coolest ones and it was the 1994 al mvp a shortened season alex but the a, num- seven, a 750 slugging. The, the, <laughs> the numbers are video game. They are pretty crazy with a with a 1.2. Whenever it starts with a 1.2 with the OPS, you're getting something crazy. Yeah. So 1.2 OPS, a 213 OPS plus that year. Um, I mean, they played 110 games that season, Alex. And at the end of that season, he already had 300 total bases. He possibly could have had 400 total bases by the end of it. Just kind of insane to see. Um they, you know, playing only about 70% of an MLB season, and the numbers are still pretty insane. 32 doubles, 39 homers, 116 ribbies. You could say this is honestly an MVP season for someone who's played 162 games. He yeah. only played 110. Yeah. I really wish some of these guys that we look at in the 94 season would have played 162 because it was a pretty insane year. I think, honestly, it might be the start of the steroid era. Um, but... That is our, of course, left side of the infield. Anything else you want to talk about with Altuve or, or Bagwell? No, I think Altuve speaks for himself. There's tons of Altuve haters in the world, and it makes sense. But you look at the numbers, there's just no argument. The batting titles, the you know, even this late career kind of uptick in power he's had, the playoff numbers, a World Series ring, asterisks, yes, it's going to be there. Uh, in the history books, people will be talking about it forever, but the numbers speak for themselves. He has to be a second baseman. Definitely, uh, definitely. Good to move on the left side. Definitely. Uh, now moving to the left side of the infield, shortstop and third base, Alex. And you know what? These two were teammates last year. I have Carlos Correa and I have Alex Bregman, kind of the standard for the Houston Afro- Astros uh, left side of the infield for the past five seasons. Uh, interested to see who you got. I also have Carlos Correa <laughs> and Alex Bregman. It, it's very funny that, Travis, these players who have been in the MLB for, you know, what, six, seven seasons, five seasons, like, it's just funny that they're such new faces, but they have had such a good start, and it's just been, you combine their production, looking at their, just their seasons they've had this last decade, plus the postseason success that they've had, uh, there's just too much going for these guys. Um, 
historically not a lot of super super strong options at these positions so in my mind it's just kind of a slam dunk definitely uh looking at bregman's 2019 and correa's 2021 just some of the best third base or shortstop seasons you're gonna find in all the american league west probably just in terms of a single season how good someone actually was so yeah 100 they have to be the pick for my for my uh my team as well and crazy how the infielders it's like bagwell biggio were teammates their whole career pretty much yeah and then you look at altuve bregman correa teammates through almost their whole entire career mm-hmm. um yeah. cool to see that infield kind of these two different eras of the astros the you know it's like you look at the astros up until about 2000 you know five or six they were a very good team always in the nlcs against the cardinals some really insane games and then they went on this almost this 2007 to 2014 run where it was just the Astros were just the laughing stock. I mean, they were probably one of the worst teams in baseball, but used all those down years to get the draft picks, and they created kind of a monster of an infield uh, with Altuve, Correa, Bregman, all those guys they used as their uh, first or second uh, round picks in the draft. But that's our infield for the Astros. Moving on to the outfield, Alex. For me, I have Jose Cruz, George Springer, and Cesar Cedeno. Uh Two guys that, I mean, I probably have never heard of before we even started looking at this list. Uh, Jose Cruz, Alex, is third on the all-time Astros war, 51.4. And then, of course, Cedeno is fourth, 49.6. So two sluggers back in the 70s, 80s that were very instrumental and and just franchise guys for the Houston Astros team. And then George Springer, of course. I have him just because I think that he was, honestly, right behind Trout, not right behind Trout, but he was the probably the top three best center fielders of the 2010s. He was just yeah. dynamic. He was so good. Power. And then, of course, the postseason. World Series MVP. An insane 2017 postseason for Springer. So, of course, I wanted to add him on to my all-time outfield list. Who do you got for years? Yeah, so I actually went with George Springer as well. Cesar Cedeno as well. And then I went with Jim Wynn for my third spot. So a slightly different pick, but I both guys who I had to look at, right? Uh, yeah. Cruz is someone who deserves tons of recognition for that Astros, you know, world leaderboard spot that he has. I just really like uh, wins on base percentage. Um, I think there's a good case to be made for both and both kind of play in an era that I think most people are not too familiar with the Astros of that kind of time. Yeah. But I, some of the numbers from Jim Wynn, he actually led 148 walks in 1969 and led baseball in walks again in 1976, pretty much a whole decade later. So just a great on-base guy for his career. Um, his career as an Astro is a 131 OPS+, plus, which is very, very good uh, in my mind. So for me, uh, he got the slight nod, but I think both of us acknowledge that there's probably multiple guys who are kind of fringe that were kind of close calls. And uh, I think both guys probably deserve the spot, honestly. No, definitely, definitely. And I think guys like, you know, even looking at today's group of players, you know, Kyle Tucker, probably a guy that could be on this list. In five you know, years, he'll have a very good chance. It, yeah, it, It's funny with the amount of talent we have in today's game. Some of these all time all time lists will be a lot different in, you know, in 10 years or five years. So uh, that, of course, is our outfield. Alex, moving to the DH spot, uh, interested to see who you got for your designated hitter. Yeah, so there's one guy, Travis, I think we both have not had in this list yet, and he could have been the first baseman, he could have been an outfielder, but I saved him for DH just because, not known for his glove, and it's a nice spot to put him. I have Lance Berkman as my DH. Um, I think he, Travis, we both discussed it before, just kind of amongst each other 
talking to each other about uh, Hall of Fame kind of stuff, one of the biggest like snubs, like this guy has numbers that are too good. He should be considered for a Hall of Fame. The fact that he got voted off the ballot so quickly is just a complete shame. But go ahead and give me your, your DH. Yeah, I mean, I'll bring him up in January when we start talking about snubs and maybe maybe even make like an all-time snubs team. I, yeah. I, I know me and Alex like just making these teams. because That'll be coming at some point. <laughs> but it was one of the greatest snubs from the Hall of Fame uh, voting that, you know, I, d- I definitely have seen. You know, I, I just look at the OPS, a 943 career OPS. When you look at kind of the top all-time OPS leaders of all time, he is, I think, honestly, r- probably ranking in the top 50 at least for the OPS. And then the OPS Plus, 144. If you are a 150 OPS Plus player, like we always say, that is a great performer yeah I mean, you are you are a hall of famer you're you're, you're performing yeah. at a hall of fame level yeah if, if you're 150 for a year you're like you're gonna be getting mvp votes probably and exactly that's almost his average so exactly exactly so 144 ops plus for his career 146 with the astros um again almost like a 300 hitter it, it's kind of I, I like the hitters that hit 300 have an on base of 400 and have a slugging of 500 i just like that that hitting line that was pretty much him in his career and that was pretty much him for the Houston Astros, uh, great, great doubles machine. I feel like for the Astros, leading uh, MLB in 2001 with 55 doubles, Alex, and then of course almost every single year over 100 RBIs. Uh, just a great hitter for that the, that Houston Astros lineup in the early 2000s. Uh, and I'm glad, of course, we are talking about him now. In 10 years, again, like I said, it could be another Astro. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we both know your Don Alvarez is making a case for a great DH, but honestly, Travis, like. If Jordan becomes a DH, we might have to force uh, Berkman to that outfield some exactly. way because uh, his numbers are truly special. Uh, has gotten third, fifth, third, and MVP voting fifth again. Like throughout his whole career, was like considered well amongst you know the voters and the writers, and then even continued his success in St. Louis and had a great postseason over for them as well. So definitely, definitely, definitely. a guy who we'll talk about in our snubs uh, Hall of Fame you know podcast that we have eventually down the line. But exactly for him has to be on this team some way. We both slotted him in at DH, which makes a lot of sense to me. Definitely, definitely. And we'll move now to the starting five for the starting pitching. Uh, and Alex. Uh, Number one, of course, is going to be Nolan Ryan. Spent the most years most years of his career with the Houston Astros, so he'll get the number one slot. Then I went with Joe Necro, Larry, I think it's Durker. He pitched earlier on in the '60s. Roy Oswalt, another great guy in the early 2000s, and then last Mike Scott, uh, a great postseason performer. I think in those '80s postseason uh, series against the Mets, uh, had a lot of big moments. But that's my five. Give me your five, and we'll we'll talk about that. So different five in a kind of a lot of ways. Okay. So first off, Nolan Ryan has mm-hmm. to be there. Yeah. Of course, you mentioned it. I also have Royals Walt. Okay. I also have Mike Scott. I have J.R. Richard, who okay. is someone I want to yep. talk about I in a minute him, here. Yeah. yeah, okay. And then my fifth spot, surprisingly, I went with Dallas Keuchel. Nice. Well, we can talk about that. Nice. We'll talk about that in a minute. But for, yeah, what you said about Nolan Ryan, you know, one of the most legendary pitchers ever for sure. Most seasons of any team was as an Astro, so he has to be on the list. Oh, what we both have as well, which makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, was a part of a really good stretch of an Astros team. Definitely. Had some great, you know, overall years. Mike Scott has a Cy Young to his name, right? Uh, I think that's one big reason why we both have him on our lists. But a difference maker that between us I want to talk about is J.R. Richard. Um, definitely just kind of a unique uh, case that, I am not sure that a lot of people might know about, and I actually didn't know about this until just doing the research on him. Only played 10 years in the pros, 
Um, but he really started hitting his stride from like 1976 until 1980 when he uh, had his last season and was an all-star. Um, but he really had this great stride of, you know, 275 ERA, 297 ERA, 311 ERA. And then he led, he led baseball with a 271 ERA. And then he had, uh, he had this 1980 campaign where he only started 17 games. I looked into it a little bit, Travis, and he actually had like a health issue and he got taken off the game. And as he tried to rehab back, he had a stroke. Oh, wow. So it really ended his career early and he tried to kind of rehab and come back, but it just didn't happen. Um, so he, that's why he retired at 30. Essentially. He had his last time playing baseball at his age 30 season. I think he was really coming into a prime here. If you look at his numbers, you see all those bold start popping up right before he, his career ends. And unfortunately, Travis, I actually, I also learned in my research, he died earlier this year. Um, overall, an interesting kind of player with an interesting career that only you see one all-star appearance and one ERA title. You might not think much of him, but probably a low-key, very good player for his time. I'm I'm just kind of happy I was able to find a way to kind of include him on my list somehow. Yeah, no, and honestly, an all-timer for the Houston Astros and good research for that. I did not know that was his final season. I was going to say, looking at it, you look at 76 to, uh, you know, 1980, or I guess 79, every year, 18-plus wins. I mean, he was a winner. I mean, he literally was just winning every, every single year, mm-hmm. a, a crazy winning percentage for a starting pitcher. I'm pretty sure in 1980, he would have started – uh, 10 to 15 more games and probably would have won close to 20 games that year uh, would have kind of had an insane prime stretch of his early 20s interesting to see what kind of pitcher he would be in the long run if he didn't have that stroke uh, could be saying his name possibly even in Cooperstown with these numbers at least in these primes right here uh, mm, if really, it continued for sure really really insane and did not know what the whole um, you know the whole stroke business and all and everything that happened there Joe Necro for me uh, another guy that I think um you know, I, I, him and him and actually J.R. Richard were uh, both in r- really high consideration. Necro, of course, playing 11 years, having a slightly lower ERA. That's because I think he was a starting pitcher more often, whereas uh, Richard was in the bullpen in the early part of his career and had a lot of a higher ERA than he probably would have liked to. But Necro, of course, being uh, just kind of that workhorse 11 years uh, in the late 70s and early 80s for the Astros. But um, that kind of wraps up the starting pitching for that one, Alex. Um, and then also, I mean, kind of jumping into Keiko. What are your thoughts on Keiko, of course? Yeah, I just think he had a really underrated prime. He pitched uh, for the Astros from 2012 through 2018, has a World Series ring with them, uh, has a Cy Young Award, and that year was uh, super great. He had a, a fifth-place MVP finish. He led base. He led the American League in innings pitched at 232. Um, he had a 2.48 ERA overall as an Astro, his ERA plus is 109 because the first couple years are kind of rocky, but when he hits his stride, it's a really great, like five year stretch of pitching as a, as a starter and, um, has some gold gloves to his name as well. So a bit of an athlete, uh, to boot, um, overall, I think that there are guys who definitely show more longevity and a better Astros overall war. But I just like having a couple guys in my rotation that kind of had a really great peak or a really great year. So he's going to yeah. be my guy for that kind of spot uh, okay. on the, on this list. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, moving to the ninth inning, Alex, there's definitely a dominant presence coming out of this bullpen. Uh, give me your closer for the Astros. Yeah. There's only one choice, Travis. We both know it's, it's Billy Wagner, another snub, uh, <laughs> a, a guy who's currently on the hall of fame ballot. And we will be, we will be advocating for him and we will be talking about him in January when we do our hall of fame episode on the current ballot, because definitely 
uh, he needs to be in Cooperstown, Travis. He has such an amazing career. The big knock on him for not being a Hall of Famer is he's only thrown 900 career innings. But they really compare to about anyone's best 900 innings ever pitched. You can't find someone with 900 innings that really look much better than his. He was just such a dominant force in the bullpen and, you know, was, of course, traveled around to some different teams besides Houston, but Houston by far his main team. If he goes to the Hall of Fame, it will be as an Astro. So he is by far the lock to be the closer on this team. I assume you, you agree? Yeah, 100%. I mean, he his ERA uh, in a lot of those seasons, a, a 187 ERA plus in his career. I think the, of course, the uh, all-time leader is Mariano Rivera, just around 200 ERA plus for a career number, but he's right there with Mariano Rivera as yep. one of the best. And being a left-handed pitcher, uh, I know a lot of guys, of course, facing him were just game was over, you yeah. know. Yep. So Astros reliever Billy Wagner, um, all-timer, and so that cool. kind of wraps up with uh, anything else. If you want to say for the Astros, oh uh, yeah, I was just going to say that 422 career saves for Wagner, and there's a couple seasons here where he wasn't even able to really play that much. Uh, finished at age 38 but yeah honestly uh looking at how good he was even late in his career as a 36 year old a two a 230 era in 45 games pitched i mean just a, just a legend for sure um definitely pretty much wraps up the whole team definitely definitely and so we'll now kind of sum up with all of these five teams we want to of course do a quick recap and just we'll make our all-time al west team we'll be doing this with every single division as we kind of wrap it up uh it's basically the same guys i think honestly we will have the same guys from all five teams that we've been talking about and just making kind of the elite of the elite of all these teams uh for kind of wrapping up the entire division i know the al west did not incorporate you know the philadelphia a's back in the day but this is kind of us just saying you know them as a franchise during the al west right now this is what our AL West team would look like if we had to put one on paper and together. But um, Alex, I'll start off with the catching position. Out of all the catches we talked about, uh, Pudge Rodriguez, for me, has to be the number one guy. Uh, defense was his strong uh, <laughs> the strong part of his game, and he was possibly one of the best defensive catchers of all time, as well as a great hitter winning the MVP. I think it was in either 99 or in 2000. But Pudge Rodriguez, for my catcher, who's yours? Yeah, this one, I put a lot of thought into it, and I really do like Mickey Cotran a lot. Okay. Um, but just for war basis, I have to go with Yvonne Rodriguez as well. Just has simply a lot more war. Um, a lot of that probably comes from, you know, just raw games played. Uh, you know, Pudge Rodriguez also has the MVP to his name. Uh, and a, a good stretch of a good stretch of uh, four straight years where he was 16th in MVP voting or higher as a Texas Ranger. And that's, of course, the team we have him on the list on. So yep. it's important that he was, you know, we, 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 we can look at his, his career stats and that kind of counts. But really, you can look at his Rangers stats and that was the best years of his career. So it helps him that much more. Definitely. Um, I know that Cotran had some great years as a Detroit Tiger. So yeah. <laughs> you factor that in as well. Probably gives Pudge even that much more of a nod. So I will go ahead and agree with you. Pudge is my catcher. Definitely. Okay. Uh, moving to the right side of the infield, first and second base, Alex. I kept it. Philadelphia A's. Jimmy Fox, Eddie Collins for my right side. Who do you got if you have anything different? Yeah, I think uh, we both agree. Fox and uh, Collins, you look at the war, it's just better than everyone by quite a big margin. Uh, Fox, all-time great player, and of course, Collins, one of the best second basemen ever. I do think that Altuve, if he can keep it up, he's kind of on Hall of Fame trajectory. Definitely. Um, 3,000 hits is not impossible. Uh the way baseball is going, people are getting less and less hits every year, I feel like. And mm -hmm. he might be swinging for the fences more as he gets older. But um, 
yeah, it's definitely in play. He could be up there with Collins, but right now, Collins, the war, and the 3,000 hits, he's just ahead of everyone. Definitely, definitely. Uh, left side of the infield now, Alex, uh, shortstop and third base. Shortstop had to go with Alex Rodriguez. Uh, I think he played about 10 years in the AL West, and then the rest were with the Yankees. So uh, I think it was 22 years total, so 12 years Yankees, 10 years in the AL West. He is my shortstop, of course. And third base is going to be Adrian Beltre playing those years with the Mariners and also the Rangers. Probably, honestly, one of the one of the top. Um, he's up there with one of the top wars for AL West, I guess, playing because majority of his career is in the AL West. That's my left side of the infield. Who do you got for your left side? Yeah, Travis, left side of the infield. I also have Rodriguez and Beltre. I think that they are just. Um, I think there's locks for these kind of positions. Uh, Easily. I don't think anyone played the shortstop position much better than Alex Rodriguez and of course played both as a Mariner and a Ranger. So that probably helps him make this list even that much more of a dominant kind of shortstop lock. Uh, Adrian Beltre, Travis, uh, I also agree. Uh, He is on his track to be a Hall of Famer and uh, Texas Rangers are one of his best teams as well. So he has to be my third baseman as well. Perfect, perfect. Now moving on to the all-time AL West outfield. And this one, of course, can get really tricky. AL West had some really good outfields, I guess, if you have the players to look at. Um, but for me, Alex, it goes down to Mike Trout, of course, Ken Griffey Jr., and Ichiro Suzuki. Uh, interested to see who you got for your three, and then we'll discuss. We agree. We have the same three. Perfect. It has okay. to be Trout. Uh, Trout, you know, He's still building his career, but even if he retired tomorrow, he is on this team. Uh, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's sim- it's simply put, um, he is up there with the greatest center fielders ever. Griffey is, of course, uh, inner circle Hall of Famer. The numbers he kind of put up in his career. So even though we have two center fielders, doesn't really matter. They're both to be in this team. Ichiro Suzuki Travis, I I do always like comparing Ichiro and Vlad Guerrero because they were kind of came from the same era. They were really good in like the middle of the 2000s and they're both in the American League All-Star team like every year. And usually what they would do is they'd put Ichiro in center and Guerrero in right to make them both be able to play in the All-Star team. But I just think that if you have to pick only one because obviously Griffey and Trout feel like locks, I'll go ahead and go Suzuki for the, you know, you're sacrificing some power, but getting the extra defense and the speed. So I'm okay with that. And I'll go Suzuki as well. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I mean, all guys, um, I guess not each row, but Trout and Griffey, the most five tool you can, I mean, they, they are yeah. five tool all in all through M- modern day maze and, uh, and mantle right there. Yeah. Exactly. And then each row just missing the power, but everything else was just top notch. Yeah. Mac maxed out yeah. a plus stuff. So, all three guys are legends in the game. All three guys are, of course, on their way to Cooperstown when it's their time. But that's our outfield for the DH, Alex. I uh, kept it also with the Mariners, Edgar Martinez. In my mind, he's still kind of the signature designated hitter when you look at it in the game. Of course, Big Poppy coming into the Hall of Fame this year as well. He might be, of course, on his way to Cooperstown. But Edgar Martinez, of course, one of the first DHs to really have the success that he did. Um, he's my all-time DH. Who do you got? Yeah, I, I agree. I also do have Edgar Martinez. If we're talking about like best season or best short stretch of seasons, Maguire would get lots of consideration. Definitely. But overall, a whole career, 
I think I definitely have to go with Martinez, plus the factor of played his entire career in the division, another little boost to his case there. So even though even though you're going to see McGuire have a bit better career home run numbers and stuff like that, yep. Martinez consistently good, even as an older player. Of course, there's not the steroid uh, baggage to him as well, which mm-hmm. helps that much more. So I agree, Martinez will be my DH in this team. Perfect, perfect. Okay. And then we also have to include uh, three bench spots just because it's kind of like our honorable mentions, uh, three guys that, of course, we'd have on the bench. Um, and for me, Alex, the first guy is definitely a bench guy, and this is Ricky Henderson. I mean, I'd love to have him be that late-inning steal guy. So he is, of course, on my bench. Also on my bench, Jeff Bagwell and Reggie Jackson. Only reason I think I had Reggie Jackson on the bench was because he played for the Angels and the A's, so he did a lot of years in the AL West. So if, I guess if you compared a lot of other people with AL West numbers, he is definitely going to crack that list. But that's my bench spot. Who do you guys? Who do you have for the, your three bench players? So I completely agree. Henderson is the inner circle Hall of Famer type of guy. Needs to be on the team. There are just some better five-tool players that we had on our starting team, so he's yep. on the bench for me. Bagwell also for the peak years and just played his whole career in the in the division. He's also on my team as well. So I have Henderson and Bagwell the same. My third spot is actually going to be different. I went with Guerrero. Okay. I think there's nice. an argument for both Guerrero mm-hmm. and and Jackson. Jackson probably a more legendary player because he has that 500 home run club um, amongst other you know, postseason credentials that he has to his name. Yep. But Guerrero someone I just really like his MVP year and his just peak years as an angel. Um, I think he just, you know, there's definitely some bias factored in too, because one of my favorite players growing up watching the team was the best player on the angels during some of their best stretches of their franchise. Um, overall, I think both make a lot of sense between Reggie Jackson and Vlad Guerrero, but I went ahead and went with Vladimir Guerrero. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. So now moving on, Alex, to the starting pitching. Um, and these are five, uh, five guys, of course, wrapping up the entire AL West. So uh i'll let you start and then of course i'll give you my starting five as well okay so mine i had i had trouble thinking about how i wanted to do this because some of it is guys played like like example nolan ryan has to be number one in my mind because he played with 20 years in the al west (laughs) right because he was a texas ranger and a houston astro and a angel los angeles angel california angel all the same uh, so he has to be number one but some of these guys kind of hopped around in in unique ways so i'll go and say ryan is on my team Lefty Grove is on my team. Randy Johnson is on my team. I have Vita Blue on my team. And I have Felix Hernandez on my team. That's going to be my five. Very good. Very good. Okay. Go ahead and give me your five. Um, very, very similar. Uh, so I actually had, of course, Reggie. I'm sorry, not Reggie. Reggie Jackson. Nolan Ryan, Vita Blue, Lefty Grove. Those are three guys that are definite on my team. I also had Randy Johnson on my team. And then my last guy I had was Catfish Hunter. Okay. And so I had Catfish Hunter just because of, um, I, you know, I just just being the Oakland A's, uh, I mean, the face I feel like of the Oakland A's, and of course how influential he was in those '70s playoff runs, uh, winning a Cy Young, four straight years, Alex, of top four finishes in the Cy Young. So kind of had a prime that was very uh, uncomparable when you look at a lot of different great pitchers. Um, you know, you look at even like the Pedro Martinez is the, the the Maddox, the Randy Johnson's, you know, four straight years of dominance. That's kind of the same thing it was for Catfish. Uh, so he is my guy for uh, the all ALS team. Also pointing out, Alex, in, four, in a four year stretch, he had over he had 92 wins in four wow. years. So 
four straight years, actually five straight years of 20 plus wins. Um, I know it's a stat we don't really care about too much because it really is effective how your team does, but he, he wasn't was, a great team at the time. He, he was a winner uh, for the most part. And so uh, that is why I had catfish uh, Hunter on my team, just because of how much of a winner he was. But uh, talk to me about Felix Hernandez. He another, again, is a great pick. Yeah. Uh, that was the only difference we had in our rotation was I had Felix. Um, Felix, I think just one of the sneaky best primes we've seen in a really, really long time. Um, in, in, a, in a stretch of a few years, he had a second-place Cy Young finish, then a Cy Young first-place finish, got the award. And then a couple years later, he had a fourth-place finish, eighth-place finish, second-place finish, seventh-place finish. So we're talking about a stretch of, like, seven years where he was top ten, like, six of the seven years. Like, that's just super, yeah. super crazy, super good uh, for him. Uh, his uh, career best – or his entire career has been with a Seattle – he, of course, I think he went to the Braves, but like didn't pitch at all. Braves and then also Orioles did not pitch for both. So yeah, yeah. So, so no games pitched uh, besides for the Mariners. But overall, I think his numbers, he's a 50 war, which is a really great number for a career with one team. Um, will be an interesting conversation for the Hall of Fame ballot someday. But when you're talking about prime, he's up there with some of the best. So. Definitely, definitely. And so that's a good starting pitching step. I'm glad, of course, the first uh, three or the first four, at least you had Randy, Nolan Ryan, Vita Blue, and Lefty Grow. It's kind of crazy. I did not really think until I looked at this list, Randy Johnson played the most years with the Mariners. I thought it was going to be right. a Diamondback or, you know, had a short stint with the Montreal Expos. But you, I think when you look at Randy, you think of Diamondbacks because of how dominant he was on the Diamondbacks right. and all those, uh, you know, top Cy Young finishes or those Cy Young Awards wins. But um, that wraps up the starting pitching. Now we move on to the to the basically the three relievers, the, the, the two setup and the closer. Uh, for me, Alex, uh, went ahead and kept all the same guys that I had on my on my list prior, but Troy Percival, Billy Wagner, my two setup guys, and then closing is Dennis Eckersley. So that's my three. Who do you got for your three? My three are the same three teams, but I, of course, have <laughs> Frankie Rodriguez instead of Troy Percival. So I have Makes Frankie sense. Rodriguez, I have Billy Wagner, and I have Dennis Eckersley as my big three. Um, I think we agree about Wagner and Eckersley. Eckersley, a Hall of Famer for sure. Wagner should be a Hall of Famer, and I think he probably will be, but we'll have to see in the yep. next few years how voting goes for him. And then Travis Francisco Rodriguez, someone who I personally think should be a Hall of Famer, but he won't be on the ballot for a while. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about him in three years on the <laughs> yeah. episode 1000 of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, Travis, I honestly think that um, Frankie's one of the most underrated, you know, his numbers are just, are just insane to look at some of his peak years and also the longevity of how many years he was a, a closer or relief pitcher. And they are two guys are Hall of Famers, so Definitely. I think it's pretty straightforward. Definitely. And him and I think him and Joe Nathan were two guys that, of course, really always challenged Mariano for, like, who is that closer of the yeah. MLB and closer of the AL. I mean, you go back and look at, you know— 2005 six he led the al and saves so definitely putting pressure on mariano and then of course 2008 with the most saves in major league history i think mariano probably is thinking you know he should have that uh award for just you know of course how many saves he had in his career but never had the single season record that goes to francisco rodriguez so definitely a great great pick um alex i'm actually really glad we got to do these these teams because um it's fun to kind of get our creativity down on a piece of paper and we can really create these teams and it'd be fun to make these teams, you know, in real life. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, talking about like if, 
if you know the all-time angels team could play the all-time mariners team and see who would win that'd be so much fun of course but you know i think it you know we're, we both we both have a mind for like kind of the history of the game and we like comparing eras and stuff and even though there's no way to know for sure like who would win these kind of games it's kind of fun to do it in our heads and put these teams on paper and kind of you know compare back and forth and make it all aos team so i guess i guess on the spot one thing i'll ask you as well is if you had to pick if these teams all played in the same division all the same players give me kind of your who'd finish first who'd finish in last place uh if you can kind of run me through that i know it's kind of a uh tough question to look at because you have to analyze all the teams and what the strengths and weaknesses are but give me kind of what your uh division outlook would look like if they all played 162 games everyone's healthy everyone's in their prime kind of playing careers who wins that battle <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a really fun question and i love this kind of stuff i love comparing eras like who's the all-time great you know i think that if all these teams uh had everyone in their prime playing um there's lots of great talent on all the teams but i'll have to lean towards athletics just Definitely. because yeah. of the position players it's deep they kind of fill all the boxes they have some guys who have great defenders guys who have great power outfielders who have you know speed and great bats um some 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 steroid juice in the dh spot as well to help them out and then the pitching is just also locked down Definitely. and the closer is of course locked down um so yeah i think for that reason athletics have no weaknesses it seems like whereas other teams might have a random guy here or there who i'm like i'm not sure how good that guy was but yeah. athletics every single guy i can say okay i feel comfortable with that guy in that spot i think it just rounds out looking even at the you know catching first and second it's just elite mickey jimmy eddie and then of course the outfield it's just it's all full of superstars and yeah, then of hall course, of famers across the, the starting board. rotation is just ridiculous right there so um i totally agree with that um that'd be my first pick I, it'd be very hard because i think the angels and the mariners would be battling it out for the second and the third spot seeing those outfields exactly kinda play each other would be so much fun the trout guerrero anderson versus like buner uh Ichiro and Griffey it's almost very comparable like no, the way exactly. they kind of cover the same eras and stuff exactly and you look at Mariners first two pitchers Felix Randy those are just two elite starting pitchers and then the Angels of course Weaver Finley Nolan Ryan even Tanana back in the day yeah um they had some really good guys and then of course the outfield with Guerrero Trout Anderson it's just kind of like there's just weapons everywhere uh and then of course with the infield too um hopefully honestly in the next couple of years the infield will be changing i think for the angels i think we're going to have some better all-time angels for the infield but um that's kind of my outlook on it and then of course the texas teams rangers and astros probably battling it out for the four or the five spot which is kind of crazy that the astros right now are still a very very good team but i think on uh on paper still very elite i just think that some of these other teams have of course the better um all-around players but any any other thoughts on that kind of stuff yeah no i think the astros there's tons of talent there and we'll kind of see if bregman can add another mvp caliber season to his uh, resume or if you know uh your don or tucker become like uh perennial all-stars in the next rest of the decade um that will make their team that much better definitely but um yeah i think for the time being I like the way we kind of broke that down and, and ranked those teams. So just uh, for you guys, let you guys know, later this week, we're going to record uh, AL Central, and then we'll get to AL East as well as probably NL West next week. So AL East will be a little stupid. I mean, that's going to be some... Some legendary names. Yes, yes. So yeah, just it's going to be probably about two a week for the next three weeks. Uh, we'll get through every single division and be able to break everything down for you guys. Um, hope you enjoyed the little change of pace today um just want to try something different during the lockout because 
there's not much like breaking news going on, of course. And we had the chance to probably say, let's take it easy, but no, let's just, let's just do something we wanted to do for a long time and get this out of the way. And uh, it was a great time to do it. So, uh, ne- uh, we'll be coming back at you guys uh, later this week with yes. a new episode, um, two a week for the next uh, short stint of time. So that pretty much wraps everything up, Travis. December is kind of our, uh, history month. So yeah, it, it will be our history month until probably about Christmas time. And yeah. then hall of fame season hits us hard in January. Exactly. Exactly. So that's kind of the way we plan things out and, uh, kind of give you our input on those stuff. And then of course, you know, towards the end of it, we'll start getting narrowing it down to the all American national league MLB teams. Uh, that's, I think the best way we could have done this. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, a fun exercise for sure. And we will talk to you guys later this week. So if you guys made it this far, Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you guys very soon. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast.